Getting a new vehicle can be stressful, but not at Lake Elsinore Chrysler Dodge Jeep and Ram. That's where surfers go inland to purchase their new and used vehicles. This episode is brought to you by our friends at Neon Wave. Neon Wave is an internationally local shop, a concierge to the modern nomad. They bring together carefully chosen surf, fashion, art, and snowboarding gear with a curatorial eye that's drawn to the best of the best, technicality, creativity, and sustainability. Their team is born from nature, raised by the wave, and nurtured by the culture they support. This is Neon Wave. We look forward to moving forward. Check them out at thisisneonwave.com. Earth Pack, customized eco-friendly retail and e-com packaging since 1989. In a time of increasing environmental awareness, Earth Pack is an advanced supplier of affordable recycled packaging for businesses of all sizes. Earthpack provides custom products and services and continues promoting sustainability while fulfilling the individual packaging needs of eco-friendly retailers nationwide. Check them out at earthpack.com. Just live. We believe a life is meant to be lived to its fullest potential. In order to do that, you need to feel at your best, both physically and mentally. We founded this community to share what we found as professional athletes that can help people of all walks of life. So, you can go out and do exactly what you're supposed to do. Just live. Friends and family, brothers and sisters, welcome to the Late Night with Chalky podcast. Echo. A little echo in here. Our guest this week, former pro surfer that competed on the world tour for 14 years. He's one of the few Australians that was part of the Momentum Generation. One of the few. One of the few. He made the transition from professional surfing into the business side of things and sports management and rep agency, which parlayed into a decade at Hurley as a sales manager for core accounts and into managing Hurley's global wetsuit and footwear business. Fucking big. Now he's on top of the food chain managing the business at America's for the Surf Hardware International, which is, for those that don't know, they have just a few brands, FCS, Gorilla Grip, Soft Tech, Canui Lock, and Hydro. Is there any more? No, I think you hit on the mic, really. <laughs> yeah. uh, we're pumped to sit down and talk to the smooth and stylish surfer that I freaking love, and this guy is a, obviously an insane businessman, and we welcome Todd Prezzo. Prestige. Thanks, boys. Yeah. Um, Stoked to be here, obviously, and uh, big, obviously, big fans of what you guys are doing, and and especially what you guys have done. Um, Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's been quite a journey, obviously, to to get to some of those titles, but um, it's been a fun ride up to this point. Well, I just wanted to say I pulled up your name on the internet and. There were some clips, some old clips, and I was like, holy fucking shit, this guy ramps. Yeah. <laughs> and you know what's funny? Prezzo is, uh, we bring this up, almost every episode is the best athletes and best surfers turn out to be the smartest guys and the, the best businessmen. So you're, yeah. you're another uh, legend <laughs> that uh, proves that theory, you know? Yeah. I, I, I'm sure some people out there would disagree with you <laughs> on both fronts, surfer and businessman. Yeah. But no, I much appreciated. I, I was told um, in the middle of my career from uh, one of my friends, this guy Patrick Boyle, who was at the time um, 
he was a broker on Wall Street, the first Boston bank. Oh, wow. And, and he said, hey, mate, like, like when you finish, uh, companies really source uh, professional athletes because they're so self-motivated. Yeah. And he said, you'll have a hugely successful career because you're driven to succeed yourself. Wow. And so that sort of resonated with me back then. Um, and I've yeah. had more. And he was a stockbroker? He was a stockbroker. On Wall Street. Yeah. Yeah, you'll hear that from like, you know, headhunters and stuff for, for companies yeah. and stuff. They look for athletes because, you know, you obviously got to have the smarts and, and the degree or whatever experience, yeah. but it, it is the workload, it's the hustle, yep. it's balancing, you know, multitasking. And yeah. Everything. yeah. Yeah. Well, let's, uh, let's dive into it. How, how did Prezzo get into surfing? Uh, I was born into a little country town called Jerringong, Wherry Beach. It's, um, it's about two hours south of Sydney, um, tiny old farmland. And, um, you know, it, it's a coastal town, beautiful beach. Um, coastal town, but farmland. Yeah. Okay. So, so farmland surrounds the beach. Um, so when you roll down there, it's really the start of the south coast. Um, and so it's rolling green hills and, and epic farmland, I think. Jay's been down there. It's, yeah. it's, it's beautiful. Really um, beautiful. Uh, and so we're born on the beach. My dad was a surfer. Um, awesome. He was from Sydney. Um, he met my mum down in the next town up called Kayama. And they moved down there. And um, yeah, I was a natural um, progression, right? Like, Jerringong's actually renowned to be a professional football town. And we produce high-level, um, you know, athlete, football athletes out of, uh, out of the town. For such a small town, it's produced a number of Australia's best footballers. Hmm. Um, and I played football my entire uh, youth career, but the football ground was situated at the top of the hill in Jerringong, and I used to play a position called 5'8", and my mate was halfback, and I knew it was time to sort of give up my football career when I was checking the surf, and he was trying to pass me the ball. And I was like missing plays, and and uh, <laughs> I knew it was time to move on to, to just go full surfing. So I started at Wherry. Uh, I joined the Border Artist Club, um, as you guys are aware. Like yeah. Australia has a, a plethora of Border Artist Clubs yeah. in every we love it every town. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that was my first introduction really into to community and surfing. And my dad was teaching me at the time, and he had some of his friends helping me and taking me surfing and taking me on trips. So. What, did, what did your parents do for work? My dad was a coal miner. Oh, wow. wow. Yeah. Uh, my mum worked at different parts throughout um, my life, like sort of with those guys. Yeah. Um, but then um, she ended up becoming more of a nurse later yeah. years. Uh, but my dad, my dad did a bunch of jobs. Actually, when I was young, young, he was, uh, he would drive the dairy truck. So he would go around and pick up all the milk uh, from the vats, from all the farms. Yeah. Um, and then he went on to do it being a butcher. Uh, he worked in the abattoirs, uh, so he was, yeah, he was slaughtering pigs and cows and Whew. cutting those guys up. Um, and then he went into to mainstream butching in a, into a, a store. Um, and then he went into the mines. And, Crazy, wow. Yeah. So, what were they mining for? Coal. 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 Okay. Yeah, yeah. Coal mining is big in Oz. Um, as you guys are aware, like Australia is a big country, but it's mineral rich. Yeah. Uh, so most of um, the you know, minerals that you see around the world are coming from out of Oz. Yeah, a lot of gold. Gold, the, yeah, the, there's uranium, right? Yeah. There's, there's all of it. Yeah. Right? Like, there's so much. Coal is obviously a big one. Uh, Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home? 
isn't a total mystery with bite clear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite clear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Um, yeah, they've got the biggest steel mills down yeah. in Australia and stuff, so yeah. So your, your dad surfed, was he like in that longboarding era or? Yeah, dad, dad grew up, um, you know, and he went to the 64-65 world titles at Manly. Wow. Um, you know, with Midget Farrelly won and stuff like that. Um, and so he was from that era, but... By the time it got to me, you know, it was it was more so the MP sort of era where the boards had shrunk down and, yeah. and you know, it was short boards, but, you know, uh, single fin short board yeah. style. Um, and he loved to surf. He was a football player um, and he played with one of the greatest of all time to come out of Jeringon. Um, and he had a, a great career through the football locally. Mm. Um, but, but on the weekend, surfed all the time. And another part of what most towns are is they they have surf clubs and so he was a volunteer lifeguard and uh, he did all that so I sat on the beach with him as a full waterman yeah 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 yeah. in Australia it's kind of like and and, as you can say this but it's you you grow up doing every single sport when I grew up I played football I played tennis I played basketball I was like what do we want to do next are we going to do grass hockey yeah let's go like you know, yeah, it's it's you just do every sport. I think that's I think that's what you need to expose your kids to and see what clicks. Get into, you know, like sure. obviously parents have a bias opinion on yeah. what you want your kid to kind of like. Yeah. You know, as us, it'd be surfers. I don't want my kids to surf because yeah. that's what we enjoy doing. But if your kid, you know, introduce them to something, they are hooked. When they, when they find it on their own, yeah. that's when it becomes yeah. special. Yeah. You just expose it and see what you know. Yeah, what they like. But yeah, so it was a great life. Growing up in Jeringong, like at the time, I think there was only 500 people in the town, maybe 400 people in the Ooh, town. Wow. It was tiny. Small town. We were sort of like, um, kind of second generation born. Um, I was born in Kaima Hospital. I was second generation born. The farmers that are originally there, they were first generation Jeringong, and then it was sort of onto us. What a trip. Yeah, so it was good, um, but it was isolated, right? Yeah. Like it, it, the town was was just built around the beach. And it was, Tiny, but it was, I think it's 12 kilometers to Kaima, which was the nearest town. So what, what age were you getting pushed into waves or, or growing out there? I started probably when I was about four, um, wow. you know, four or five. And um, and it's cold kind of down there. You're in wetsuits, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, yeah, right. it's, I'm used to weather. Yeah. And um, yeah, winter times, especially cold and stuff. Um, and it's so crazy because it's south, but it's really colder south. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's it, we get a lot of offshore breezes and a lot mm. of wind. Like the trees are permanently bent in in Jeringong just because of the wind. Mm. But um, yeah, I grew up, you know, um, 
and I, like I said, five, I think my first board that made, I rode my dad's boards and I think the first board that he actually bought me um, was when I was about six. Um, so he- Hand me down or a shop used or new? It was a used one. Uh, one of the local guys had this old midget Farrelly S-Deck. Um, wow. Kind of cool story. So I grew up, I paid 10 bucks for it. Um, I grew up surfing on that, learning on that. And then I sold it to my best mate at the time. Um, for 20 bucks? Greg Weaver, I sold it to him, <laughs> I sold it to him for five. Um, but but cool part about that was um, on my 21st, he was looking for something, he crawled under his house and found the board and gave it back to me. On your 21st birthday? On my 21st birthday. That is That's awesome. a cool gift. It's, it's cool gift. Yeah. That's the best gift I think I've ever gotten. Um, yeah, I mean, me, I wish I would have kept some of those like oh, old, yeah. old boards. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it was rad. Um, so to have that, I've just got the board over here with me now. So it's it's insane. That's right. Uh, old Midget Farrelly S deck. So the S deck that he they didn't have any rocker in the blanks. So the blanks were so thick they used to actually shape the the nose lift into the into the board. Wow. So that's where the deck is like an S. Yeah. So it's yeah. crazy to look back at all those relics and yeah. old boards and go, how the fuck did they turn these things? Yeah, you know what's crazy is I've ridden the board a couple of times since then and it goes so good. Really? Yeah. It's flat, plainy, fast. Like, and it's, it's a single fin? A single fin. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that was my start on that board. And like I said, I, I sold it to my mate and got him into it as well. And, yeah. Um, I was fortunate enough there was a local board builder, um, Bruce Hennessy, made Crooked River surfboards. Crooked uh, River. Yeah. Um, across the road and, and you know, um, across the road from the school. So me and Greg, my mate, he, we would go across at lunchtime, sneak out of school and just go across and watch Bruce build boards. And in the end, he was just like, hey, boys, do you guys want boards? So my dad took him one of his old ones and, and cut it down. That was my first sort of brand new board. I think that was maybe about when I was seven or eight. Wow. Yeah. That's pretty young. Yeah, it was good. It, it, yeah, it was young. Yeah, for sure. And um, it was just So your dad years. gave him a board to reshape? Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. He, he was that type of guy, like just an art, like a craftsman, right? Yeah. He, he could he could cut the fiberglass off that thing. Like I remember seeing one day he didn't have any glass fins and he had this old car sitting in, in the driveway. So he just popped the front windshield out, laid up some resin and some mat and then and then cut fins out of it. <laughs> DIY, yeah. Out of the car made out of fiberglass? Yeah, yeah, the, yeah. It, it's insane. So he was one of those guys, and he later on went on to actually wood carving. Like he was carving these huge uh, logs into, wow. he carved one, you ever remember the photo of Tommy Carroll like holding the board, you know, with the, the big 7-3 that he wrote a pipe yeah. and he's standing like this and it's kind of an iconic photo. He actually carved this, a, a life-size statue uh, that's You're in kidding. the local surf shop down there. He's going to have to find that photo. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it's rad. That's killer. Yeah, so, yeah, he was good. He was a craftsman and, and he helped myself and Reg, my mate, and, and we, yeah, we was, took off. Was there a big surf scene in that small town? Was there a surf shop in that town? Yes. Oh. Yeah, Honey Surf Shop. Honey. Yeah, and they, they actually made honey surf wax, which, which was, uh, and, and, a, and another wax called Strawberry Fields. Um, and it was actually another good story. I was in the middle of England doing uh, promotions in surf shops in the middle of England, and uh, I found honey surf wax. That was pretty rad. Remember beeswax was around? Beeswax was around, yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah, it, it, there, there was a surf scene, 
um, starting like every all the like all the football players and all the dads everyone surfed but no one did it like full on yeah um, and so through our generation there was myself like I said Greg Weaver there was another guy Lee Miller um, and, and we started to get more and more into it and the board riders started to grow more and, and that become more of a thing yeah uh, for sure that's a trip because I mean you're not that old right and it, it's second end of the month, bro. Second generation, though, yeah. of that town. Yeah. Like that's pretty. That town was young. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Real young, and um, the waves there were f- like it was amazing. Like growing up, we had. I mean, it was. What part of the coast isn't amazing in Australia? Come on. Yeah. Like, yeah right. You know, sure. like. Yeah, but to, to, to grow up in, you yeah. know... Um, Just an uncrowded spot where you, you could, you know, yeah. not have to hassle because you know there are some spots around Sydney or Gold Coast where you're like... For sure. I'm not catching the amount of waves yeah. I should be. No, it, it, it took me quite a while to learn how to actually hassle for waves. <laughs> yeah, it, it's something that I run up against. Yeah, like, oh, I can't hassle for waves, man. Yeah. This yeah. dude. Yeah. yeah. I he doesn't see anybody. I, I, yeah, I just put on the blinders. Yeah, it, it's definitely, um, you've got to be in that mindset. Yeah. For sure. And if you're not in the mindset. And just really, like, water smart, like, you yeah. know, understanding the ocean and be a really strong paddler. Like, yeah. you know, yeah. like, I think yeah. that really, really helps, like, you know, getting around people. Mm-hmm. It's a little game. It's a little game out there. For sure. If you... If, if you can read it, yeah, and you know where it's gonna be, where that wave's coming just to, just a couple strokes, and you know you can really. And I got to a it. point where, like, like in the peak, I could sit ten to fifteen feet out further than most people, and still get chip shots into waves. Yeah, yeah. You know, So that was. I hate guys like you. Yeah, but hey, that doesn't <laughs> happen now. Little short little arms. <laughs> I'm north of two hundred pounds, and and closing. Let me try to paddle like this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like a T Rex. <laughs> Take that off the field. Yeah, we're, we're <laughs> that. And, um, so board riders, your club was pretty small, but you would go and compete with other other clubs. Yes, uh, back then too, like the board riders clubs were just set up for the community, right? Yeah. Like it was you had twelve point scores a year, so one a month. Um, rain, hail, or shine, and my my career was like my dad would get down there. They would set up the chairs. They would get everything ready for judging and get the heats going and get the jerseys and all that. Me and all my mates would go looking for firewood because back then you could build fires on the beach and we would try to build the biggest fire possible. So we would try and find all these floating, like all the logs. Right that, yeah, and just build a huge like bonfire. How cool. And even if it was the hottest day on earth, we still had to light it. <laughs> still, still pyro. Yeah, full pyro. But, but um, yeah, and, and so we grew up. And then later on, it sort of morphed into competing against other clubs yeah. at a local level. Then it obviously morphed into Kira Teams Challenge and the tag, the surf tag programs that they have now. When you guys went to those regional contests with would the whole team go or just certain like athlete you know like yeah. surfers early days was kind of rad so the guy that owned the surf shop this guy brad ladkin um he had a big bus and and, it, and like like the chairs in the bus were bean bags and stuff like that so yeah everybody had super dangerous yeah but, but yeah everybody the good old days yeah yeah and you would go in the honey surf bus to, and everyone was all in for yeah. sure Later on, um, yeah, most people, like, like even now, right, like um, we'll, the, the club will go up and compete in Kira Teams Challenge 
and most of the even the kids that aren't competing they're like yeah hell yeah I'm going this is going to be a fun week yeah, yeah for so sure they go for the party and they go for the support and yeah I mean we got the board riders here and it's like you know there's a, yes. an event up in Santa Cruz we know how sick that is or Ventura yeah. or yeah. down here it's, yeah. it's fun to get the yeah the crew together yeah but the team was relatively pretty small yeah like yeah sure you had a bunch of kids part of it yeah but there's only a handful of surfers that are going to compete right sure yeah it's yeah. i mean um the club the senior club now is is 60 members deep um and the junior club actually uh, 12 and under is 180 members wow yeah so the junior club is super successful the micrograms um in the club now yeah wow right now so it's grown it's grown tremendously yeah and the, the senior has been 60 but yeah you only have six guys to eight guys that are competing yeah sometimes we like in the in the regional stuff we'll put in two or three teams yeah. just to give as many people yeah so when, when did you start competing in those well, i started early like Fast, I, yeah, yeah right i started like like yeah six or seven you know like they had a, a juniors and i just was in those and you know it, we're all, it was like the same three or four kids that were all but we had a heat and we would go out and have fun and paddle around and Talk shit? Yeah. Smack talk was <laughs> yeah. yeah. Did, did you, were you surprised at the level of talent in other clubs or were you just like, oh fuck man, like I can hang with any of these guys? Early days, um, yeah, there, there was so many, there was um, this guy Brennan Russell and, and Brennan Russell was a, amazing, he became on, I went on to become a, an amazing junior uh, competitor in Australia and he was winning junior events um, and he was from Kiama and then um, another guy Adam Mitchell um, who had possibly the best grab rail we used to call him Marvin like after Marvin Foster because his grab rail was insane so there was so many good surfers and they were all part of Jones's beach board riders and then so there was so many really good surfers but one of the things as it evolved um, we still have a contest now. We have a contest called the Werry Beach Autumn Slash, and I think it's into its 30th year. Wow. And, um, and that's most of the towns, like Ulladulla had uh, its own local event, Marimbula had its own local event, and it would just get all the surfers from the South Coast. So you, you start in the cadet division. Yeah. Um, like I think back then it was like under 15s, uh, and then it morphs into the juniors, which is sort of under 18s, and it opens. So you went through those divisions in those, and there's probably about five or six events um, throughout the year. And those One are the regional ones, ones, and then you got your local ones yeah, you're competing it, quite a bit. Yeah, yeah. In the end, it, you ended up like you were competing in the Borderers Club twelve times a year, and then and then you know then you were also doing some of those mixed in on the weekends, and those things were great, right? We'd go down to Aladala and you'd camp in the campgrounds, and there'd be like fifteen families, and you'd be all just again. You're playing touch footy on the beach. You're doing backflips. You're looking for snakes, chasing rabbits, yeah. like you've kind of yeah. done everything, right? Yeah. And then it's crazy how much fun that sounds without any well, modern yeah. day, you know. But it, and, and it just goes to show it's 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 the experience and everything. You probably don't remember the, all the wins or the losses. You remember about all the fun shit, yeah, yeah, yeah. camping and starting Two fires and snakes and, and, and yeah. hanging out, and that's yeah. like the yeah. killer shit. No, it was good. We all want to win. Though. 
Yeah. Well, and I think it was what what was beneficial then was how organic it was, right? Like you you were learning how to compete and yeah. um, becoming a competitor, but at the same time, it was more about the fun and the trip. And you're going to get down there, and as soon as you park, you know your parents, you just take off. Yeah. And you're gone, and you come back to the campsite at night, and they've got the tent up, and they've got the food going and all yeah, thanks for helping Ron yeah yeah well, and, I, and that's what the stage I'm in right like where my kids don't help at all uh, I, I got you yeah. Yeah. So, oh I, I'll do this yeah, yeah. don't worry about it yeah you go have fun yeah, yeah. yeah. so um, but that was like what was fun growing yeah. up in the south coast you know and the south coast had amazing ways and, yeah. and, and sort of really good um, vibe like no matter what town you went to everybody was community what was your like first sponsor was it that, that shaper or yeah. honey surf shop or yeah like this crooked river and, and honey surf shop definitely both were my first real sponsors for sure and and um you know then um i actually rode away to a brand called tangerine turtle what tangerine yeah. turtle and it was a byron bay brand and uh one of my like like idols that i looked up to at the time when i was young was this guy called glenn pringle and uh, Glenn was a phenomenal um, junior surfer at the time, and he was sponsored by. It. I'm like, damn! I was like, Dad, I want to get sponsored by them. What they was just, it? And it was they just board shorts. Tangerine turtle. Tangerine turtle board shorts. Surf brand. Yeah, like they made some t-shirts and some board shorts and stuff. But I rode away, and, I, and both myself and my mate Reg, and we got sponsored. <laughs> so like, yes. you, you, you wrote him a letter? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Any, any photos attached or anything? I remember. Or you write portfolio? Sketch, sketch out your, your contest. Like, hey, I'm like doing... I, yeah, I wrote like my contest results. Like, first in Wherry Beach Board Riders, you know, in, event in April. Yeah. Like, you know, like... But, like, um, yeah, that was cool. That was my first sort of, like, real sort of sponsor. Yeah. Um, you know, and then... Anchorine Turtle. Yeah. You know, and where did you see it? A kid named Glenn Pringle was writing for him. So I started to then, um, like, obviously from those... Magazines? Yeah, no, like, I, I started to go to a bigger events uh, and, and more events based in Sydney. Like, you start to get to a level. So, you know, you have the regionals. So um, Wollongong had the Illawarra, um, and then there was the South Coast Regional. So I would compete in the South Coast Regionals, which would then qualify me for state. Um, and so then I'd go to state titles. And then guys like... Glenn Pringle and Matt Hoy and all these guys were at state. Luke Egan, right? Like these were a couple of years above me. Yeah. And so I'm looking at these guys and Adam Fonts, right? All these sort of guys and holy shit, like yeah, the talent. These guys, you're in a small town, yeah, tiny. you know, and you're surfing with the same guys all the time, right? And then these regional contests, you start you same. know branching out and seeing other levels of talent. Yeah. And you're like, you know, it, it must because Australia is fucking. There's so many good surfers. Yeah, I mean, it's it's your national pastime. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And and you know, like like you said, there's like 600 and something people in yeah. in population in yeah. a small little town. Yeah. And to like start seeing all that talent, you know, you you're like, fuck, man, I got a lot of work to do, right? Like, yeah. Or or was it like you were like, those guys aren't that good. You know what I mean? No, like so. so <laughs> Back then too, like Sydney guys had that, like um, that attitude, like where the shit, where the shit, yeah, for sure. And it was even even within Sydney, like at some points in time, it was the northern beaches were just ruling. 
and then other times it was the southern beaches like Bondi, Cronulla, and all those guys ruling. Who were the those guys? I mean, not to talk shit talk to them, but who were those guys like? In my my sort of age, like year, yeah. like you're talking about like Mark Bannister, and you're talking oh, about like yeah. um, uh, Jake Spooner. Jake Spooner was Wollongong for sure. Yeah. Um, you know, there was um, Marcus Conway. There was um, in there was a lot of Bondi guys, but. Um, Shane Powell was Powell was Central Coast. Okay, so he was just north of Sydney. But one of the keys. So when when I was probably about I want to say about thirteen, um, Sonny Abaddon and Ronnie oh, yeah. Reardon and Jai Abaddon actually came for a trip. Their auntie owned the cafe in Jeringong, so they came down to Jeringong. And at that time, we really hadn't had much um outsiders outside especially kids yeah come down so me and, and my mates were down at the southern end and these guys turn up and they just start like hassling and they just start going and Sonny was <laughs> throwing the board through the roof and i'm like holy fuck yeah is this? and then yeah. so we instantly made friends and and they, we hung out the entire time and at a later date Sonny and joy actually came and lived with me and my family no way yeah and um and then so from there it evolved like um, myself and one of my other mates Lee we, we actually went and joined Ruba Borders for a period of time mm. but it was kind of cool so um, was, is that kind of taboo right to leave your own club to go to another or yes and no like like where he wasn't doing anything in regards to bigger contests so we could still compete in where he bought orders yeah. right and do where he bought orders but then when it come to that, that club competing at a different level, they weren't interested, um, and so but Maruba were. Yeah. And so we went there, and it was great for myself and Lee. We wanted to progress further, and and so we went there and mixed it with the Sydney guys, yeah. the Maruba guys. And so I was seeing those guys at state titles and stuff, and then we went went through a period of time where Wollongong guys like Jake Spooner owned like every result for like two years wow. in, in state titles I was like holy shit like I knew Jake I stayed with Jake yeah. we were in the this thing called the Illawarra Academy of Sport um, the university there had this academy and they dedicated a surfing program to it um, Chris Critterburn was, was running it who was an old pro surfer and he was at one time third in the world. Oh, Critter Burn. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, okay. And so Critter was running the program, so it was great. They had two or three coaches and they picked 14 kids. And they, yeah, so we did programs with those guys and that sort of- Like helped. training or yeah. heat, run, like, yeah. you know, like how to- Like heat. fitness, training, heat stuff. Yeah. Um, Greg Orphan is that crazy, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. We had mental imagery, right? Where you had to close your eyes and imagine yourself doing turns. Like, wow. Yeah, it was it was rad. They were like forward thinking, like yep. full on surf professional training. Yeah, yeah. Competitive. Was, yeah. Wow. And so at that time, it um, was around that time where I met Sonny and, and we joined Marubra and that was rad. That The Marubra days were some of the funnest days because it was so crazy. Yeah, and you're running time, with a tight pack. Yeah. yeah, the inner circle. Right? Inner circle, and, and it was raw, right? Those guys were coming up fast, and, and um, you know, all the you know brothers from the gutter, they call themselves, like, yeah. you know, from the south side, right? And, and they hated the north side because the north side were all rich kids and, yeah. you know, that sort of thing. So that sort of rivalry was great to be a part of. Yeah. And, well, I'm from Bummington. 
Yeah, know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Or Scummington. Scummington yeah, or, yeah. you know, no. Yeah, so th- there was a guy at the time running Maroubra Border, this guy called Bradley Charles Stubbs, and uh, Stubbsy was a Is that madman. north or south? South in Maroubra, okay. yeah. And he, he was a madman, but he was a genius at the same time. Like, I remember we, he wanted to make a statement right when we went to the Kira Teams Challenge. He goes, you know when someone says, oh, you brought everything but the kitchen sink? So he brought, he brought the kitchen sink, right? and, and Marubra went up there, and we we actually got third that year. But it was like insane, like it yeah. was everything. He was just the motivational. Yeah. Hey, we're gonna fucking bring everything yeah. and the yeah. kitchen sink. Yeah, kind of shit talker, but yeah, like, fucking with people he, like he, on he, my. He was crazy. Like, these guys are crazy, but what yeah. was that guy's name? Bradley Chell Stumps. So again, like <laughs> not to digress, but he, he interesting story about him. He had his challenges with mental health, right? But through the years, he created this game called Zinity that blew up and he, he made a lot of money out of it. A board game? Yeah. Zinity? And, yeah, and now he's moved on and he's called the coach, the whisperer. And he's he's a he's a coach for coaches in Australia. Like he's he's helping- He's like an idiot for like coaches? Like no, like national football coaches. Like, like he's- Wow. Yeah, he's- Coaching like, like yeah, and he's given him all these strategies. What, what kind of a uh, game is Zinity? I don't know, man. It was just he was crazy. He's always had ideas, and he's always how yeah. But it, but how bizarre? Yeah, yeah. But yeah. like, I mean, it was a weird. It was, yeah. it was a crazy time because so much was happening, and from that, um, from that, I ended up getting sponsored by Quicksilver, and then piping hot. And I ended up like when I went to Sydney, like I ended up evolving my sponsorship program. And yeah, and, and what that, age is that? Like fifteen? But can we go back real quick? Like when yeah. you first got to Tangerine Turtle? Yeah. And you're you're starting to you're you're good you're a good surfer. Yeah. Right. And was your dad like kind of tripping on? Because we it's always fun to like talk about how your parents because your your parents are blue collar workers. Mm. And then here's you know here you are starting to get sponsored, which is a dad's dream. Yeah. You know, when your kid starts getting so good that oh he's getting free boards, free or deals, yeah. and free clothes. Like was he tripping? Like yeah, he he was he was really good. He was super supportive. Both my parents were my mum and my dad, and and you know he 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 knew enough right around that because like I said, like uh, one of his football partners. Uh, this guy called Michael Cronin had gone on to represent Australia at that stage and he was one of the greatest footballers to ever grace the planet in Australia yeah and so but he was he owned the local pub in in Jerringong Michael and he still came back down so he's a guy that reached the highest of highs right as, a, as an athlete so and he, he ended up being he's my godfather oh wow so, yeah so so he ended up like being able to pass on yeah that sort of Ethic. Yeah. 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 But at the time, your dad's like, "Hey, hang out with this kid." Yeah, yeah. Rub, rub off on him, would you? <laughs> at the time, my dad copped a lot of flack from the guys, all of his mates down the pub, because I wasn't following the traditional route of playing football. Oh. For the local, I, I, I stopped playing football at, at thirteen or fourteen. We made the grand final one of those years, and I'm like, "Okay, I'm out. We're done." And. Uh, that's how deep rooted it was there. Like, yeah, yeah, and, and, well, and, and your, your godfather is yeah. one of the best. Yeah, and, and they're like, 
like they hound him, dad, like going, he's making a big mistake and he needs to stay with football and needs to, surfing's not going to get him anywhere to the point where my teachers were like, surfing will never take him anywhere. And it's, it's, it was crazy. Right. My, my parents got so much flack from what? the community <laughs> and then from the teachers at the school, Yeah, which was funny because in the end, Kaima High School ended up I ended up getting inducted into the Kaima High School Hall of Fame for surfing for surfing <laughs> and the teachers that were saying that had to come up on stage and say hey I'm eating humble pie like I told their parents they're never going to justification yeah. I mean we get that here more more you would in Australia that kind of pressure yeah. pre- like you yeah. know with other yeah. sports in America but like surfing's huge in Australia at that time like you had you yeah. know little tile like Carol and, and Damien yeah. and yeah. Like, you guys were running like, like that lady when I was when I was young yeah for sure it was Emma Shane Oran those sort of guys right but but it wasn't in a country town yeah. especially a country town that's a football town it yeah. wasn't really like that's not a path mm. and so yeah so it, it was and your godfather is the footy guy. yeah <laughs> like you know yeah. everyone expects that everyone yeah hopes yeah. that you carry that legacy on for the town for sure there was a lot of talented football players um around my age and and um we had a great team and uh we had a lot of fun but um for sure my like i said my interest when i'm looking at this checking the surf while we're in the middle of a game i thought it was time to sort of yeah pass on the football we say it all the time surfing's a hell of a drug yes yes <laughs> and so yeah he he was great like a great support base for me to, yeah. to to keep encouraging me on doing this and, and to keep that noise away from me yeah you know and and just to keep going so yeah it was um how funny yeah your dad had to kind of probably beat down those you know naysayers and say yeah he's gonna he's gonna find his own way well, and do and, his own thing and he yeah and that's exactly right and his approach was hey just because i played football and, and this is what i did doesn't mean yeah. that this is what he's going to do so yeah it was but it was a tough tough um at moments you know like it was tough for him yeah i'm for sure yeah were you competing like well at these regionals and state championships yeah like, it, it happened evolved pretty quickly I, I mean i surfed obviously a lot um you know and, and like border riders you know we were just having fun and then i won a lot of these um you know the uh regional events you know whether aladala charity classic or the marimbula classic or whatever yeah. I, I won a lot of the divisions so i was there but when it when it moved from a regional south coast region up into even wollongong or up into state yeah it was a different ball game so the progression like i said like when we went to the academy that was a great progression. When I went to Maroubra, that was another great progression for me. Yeah. Um, and I feel like that, that sort of, I put myself um, out of my comfort zone multiple times, uh, even when I moved to, later on to the US, you know, just putting myself out of that comfort zone to, to try and progress and, yeah, yeah. and get better. It was interesting one year, like, like um, I was competing at Maroubra and one of the guys um, this guy Mark Winden, who who runs Surfing New South Wales, is like, hey, like, you have to decide if you're going to compete here. That means you have to compete in the in the state ti- in the regional titles here in Maroubra, right? which is the, the talent. So, yeah. And, and he goes, 
but if you compete at Wherry, then you can compete in the South Coast titles. And I'm like, no, I'm doing Maroubra. Yeah. I'm, I'm competing for the Borderlands. I'm, I'm going to... I'm at that level. Yeah. And I had actually won the regional titles. And so that was like a good like, oh, shit. Like, I can do it, you know? Yeah. And, and um, at the time, it was really good. So we would stay at Sonny's grandma's house. Sonny's grandma's house was right behind the beach. Um, and her nickname was Ma. And so we started a group called Mars Hell Team. And then, so it was Sonny, it was Paul Moffat, it was Jai, it was Kobe, you know, Kobe was pretty young at the time, but, um, and there was a couple of the other boys, Matt Howard, all really good surfers. And then there was an- Mars Ma, Hell Team? Ma, yeah, M-A-R, so, um, like as in grandma, right? Yeah. So, and, and so the other team was called um, Baz's Scum Team. And so it was, was our other friends. And so this guy, Nath Rogers, and, and a couple of his mates, um, Nath's dad was called Baz. And so they just started one up too, called Baz's Scum Team, and we had the best battles, you know. So, yeah. Maroubra's a really gritty part yeah. of Australia. Yeah, right? at the time, Maroubra was nuts. Um, I, I wasn't, like, being a kid from the South Coast, and yeah. land of milk and honey and, and cows, and freaking, I wasn't aware of what I was getting into, especially with Sonny, because, he liked to cause a lot of problems. Yeah. And so you would have groups of, of Lebanese or Aboriginals turn up to, to bash the surfers, you know, and, and um, yeah, like a lot of those guys, I, they lost friends over the years and um, there's been some crazy battles. Yeah. And it's position where the housing community, the houses, which is what they call, which is the the housing communities like that are supported by the government are right behind Maroubra. Yeah. Um, you know, and you've got Long Bay Jail that sits on the top of Maroubra Headland, uh, which is one of the main jails. So it's it's that lower income yeah. base crew, right? And then... Um, yeah, because the Sonny Aberton and Kobe are kind of world known for being rough. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And they grew up in that environment. You had yeah. to fight. And so what, what we would do, like we would surf all day and then you'd end up at someone's house and you put on the gloves and you just go at it in the backyard. And, and that, that was how it was, like, you know, and that morphed. For fun. Cross, yeah. cross training, bro. Yeah. yeah. Well, and it morphed for them into, um, I, I'd sort of left at this stage, um, but it morphed for them. The Brazilians started coming to town and they got in close and then it morphed into jiu-jitsu, right? And so all those guys started learning jiu-jitsu yeah. and, and they were able to really handle themselves, you know? Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, so it was an interesting time at that time. Um, but I, for like I said, more for me, I actually joined, a couple of years later, I joined, Maruba was starting to sort of slow down, so I actually joined Cronulla. Mm. Um, Cronulla board riders and, and Cronulla had Oki and Dog and Greeny and... Oh, yeah. All these teams, Andrew Murphy and like, like, you know, the who's who of surfing at the time yeah. that were, that were killing it. Yeah. Um, and so uh, it, that was great. Um, they had, you know, uh, Paul Sargent was a photographer at the time that was, you know, taking a lot of photos and getting a lot of pub, uh, look published through tracks and waves. Yeah. Um, and I connected. Which gets you tons of exposure, like tons just, of exposure. Just surfing your local area and like hanging out. You know? Yeah, and and, and um, do you remember what your first mag shot was, or I not my first mag shot, but I, Sarge came down um, and 
there was a couple of us and we're surfing wherry and and we're sh- just shooting and I got a cover of tracks and oh, wow. I think I was like maybe 15 16 at the time sick yeah and so that was your first ma- like photo in the magazine was a cover well like I, I think I'd had photos mm, um, ad or like yeah like just some ads and stuff um, for Tangerine yeah. Turtle or? Uh, no at this stage like I said I, I, I went Quicksilver. into Quicksilver and yeah. Piping Hot I think might have run some stuff yeah um, and, I'd been and on how, a how did you get on Quicksilver I was surfing at the state titles and the team manager was there and and he just was like hey dude like the way you surf, I want to sponsor you. I'm like, okay, who do you work for? And so his name is Rad Dog and, and he gets to work for Quicksilver and I'm like, ah, oh, epic. Yeah. yeah. Cool. So wow. the next week I had a box of clothes and oh, that was it. Oh, away I went. I was Quicksilver. From so, Tangerine to Quicksilver. Yeah. Dude, that's like yeah. moving from the slums yeah. to the suburbs. Yeah, right? out to the penthouse. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like Quicksilver, Bill Bomber, Crow, or the duck. Like, yeah. Yeah. Or, like, that's the deal. If you're, yeah, you got that sticker, you're good. Yeah, yeah no, I stayed with Quick. Uh, that that group, like, through my teens, like, you know, 14, 15, 16. Um, and then I, you know, I got to a certain point. I was competing um, in Australia um, at the national level quite a bit. Um, and then I made a decision, um, you know, I went to the national, the last national title I did, I think I was like 16, I went to that with, and I roomed with Mark Bannister and Shane Powell. And at this time, Powell, was a really good friend. Um, and I'd go up and stay with Shane and, and um, we'd surf and hang out and stuff. And same with Banner. Um, and so it was really good. And so we roomed together and all of us sort of made the final. Um, and then next week, Powell was Nirvana and Billabong at the time. And then like, a couple months later, the, the tour came to town, the ASP tour came to town, and they did the burly and the bells and the whole thing. And Powley turns up and he's 100% rusty. Wow, wow. And I was like, oh, damn, it's, it's on. So he's, he goes, I'm doing it, dude. I'm going. I'm going after the tour. And I got a full sponsor from Rusty. And Epic. I'm like, hell yeah, I'm coming, bro. I don't care what, <laughs> what it takes. I want to join. Yeah, so I did the Australian leg, um, which was kind of cool and it's different. Um, and then uh, I managed to get enough sort of prize money um, and I went to Europe. Uh, in, and this was, I think it was my first year in Europe was 1990. Wow. And uh, f- like crazy experience. Like I, I bought this ticket on this airline. I don't even know the name of the airline anymore, but it was a French airline. And back then they used to do three stops, right? Three like eight hour flights. It was Damn. Sydney to Kuala Lumpur, Kuala Lumpur to Bahrain, Bahrain to Paris. Wow. And you're handling all of this yourself. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm so, you don't have a... Nah. I'm yeah. 17 and my dad's just like, okay, you want to go? There's your ticket. And just There's the plane. Get on. Yeah. No. And so I, I was meeting, I was traveling with Bano, Mark Bannister, Brett Bannister, and, and another guy, William Kernow Bunter. Um, and, and I was meeting those guys because we were going like two months early before the before the tour arrived. Wow. Um, and we're Two do, months early. Yeah, we're going to do Pro Juniors and Pro Ams. Um, and so I was meeting those guys there and they were already there. And this is England? This was in France. France, France okay. Yeah. And so on the way over, leaving Bahrain, Kuwait, and uh, it was a month before the first Gulf War and the engine blew up on the plane. And so we had to emergency land, like head between the legs and and this is my first like I've done <laughs> Bali trips and stuff but, but that's why the airline's not around anymore yeah 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 no, I'm just kidding and so 
I had to stay for three days while they got another engine in Bahrain, in, Bahrain, in Kuwait, like a month before the first Gulf War. And yeah, so I just got drunk at the bar with guys I couldn't talk to because they didn't understand the language. And so nice. Yeah, but you guys days. traveled separately? Yeah, yeah. So then I got there, I arrived there. At this time too, Krita Byrne was working for, uh, for Quicksilver France with Harry Hodge. And um, he had a place in Baritz, so I had a place to stay and, and dialed in. I went there, I bought a car with Bano and, and um, the Banos and Bunter, um, and we bought a tent and we just traveled to all these pro-ams and then we did all these pro-juniors. Um, I won the very inaugural Quicksilver pro-junior at Capriton in 1990. Um, and you're making money at the juniors. Yeah, man, I came home with like, like, 15 grand. Wow. Yeah, I was like, That's dude. Yeah. Like, yeah, I thought I was like, You're what, 17? If I had a known now, man, I would have put all the money on the bed and done one of those like selfie things. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but it was insane, you know, and at that time, like, Critter was so well connected. So, you know, I met Morris. Morris was just starting to blow up. Morris Cole? Yeah, and, and that whole movement was starting to happen. Um, oh, what, what were you writing then? I went on to burn surfboards. Burn? Yeah, I moved to burn when I was about 14. Yeah. Is Critter? Phil, Phil Burner. So, yeah. Phil Burner is Critter's brother. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So, I was on burn surfboards, but Quicksilver and Piping Heart and those guys. And then um, uh, I got to France. I had a s- extremely successful pro-ams. They were fun. Juniors. Juniors were fun. Made a ton of money. Then the, the tour came to town. I actually made my first ever main event because back then it was trials, three, three rounds of trials, man on man. Yeah. Um, and so I made my first ever main event. And so I flew home from Europe. Killing it. And my dad at the time. Who, who did you take out in the main event? I took out, yeah, I think my first main event was like Seth Wilson or someone like that. Mm. You know, and, and uh, yeah. Or maybe my first ever one was against Dog Marsh. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> and he schooled me. Like, Absolutely annihilated yeah. me, but I was just so stoked to make it because I, yeah. I'd gone through like Tony Ray and and uh, Brano and all these guys to get to. Was that. there money in the trials yeah. too? No, you had to make main event, yeah. so you had to grind it out. Yeah, had to grind it out. So you won the Quicksilver, the first Quicksilver Juniors. Yes. And then, how many contests were there? We did like five or six proams. Yeah, it was Unglet, there was Hossigor, there was uh, Lacano, there was... Um, and you traveled cars. around in a, a car you guys bought yeah. in yeah. a tent. Yeah. That, that sounds so fucking insane. It was, it, it was rad. Right? Like, we're in Lacano, we pitched the tent at the top of this massive sand dune going, how good is this? We got the best view ever. <laughs> we're living in a tent for free, and in the middle of the night, the biggest thunderstorm happened, <laughs> the biggest lightning storm, me and like the boys were underneath the stage, the scaffolding under we the stage. We built the tent going to the stage. Yeah, and we slept under the stage, which was probably not the smartest idea because it's all metal. metal yeah. yeah. But but that, yeah. Well, that's what you're going to do though, yeah. right? And we, when we got to the Pro Junior, we didn't have anywhere to stay. So the Harry Hodge was like, hey, like you guys can be security at night and you can stay on site. And so we slept in the scaffolding at, at Capriton. And like it was rad, like Jake Pato was there at the time too, Sonny, um, and so it was a great crew. And we ended up um, slip, like we would surf all day. Capriton was firing, pumping barrels, come in, um, get ready, go out to Club 15, 
and, and party to about five in the morning, then come back and then we would sleep from like five to like 11 o'clock when they'd start the event. Then we'd get up, yeah. and surf the event and then just repeat. So this is like summer high season and it doesn't get dark there till like 10, yeah. 30, 11 yeah. at night. Yeah. It's like, so the days are so fucking long. So long, yeah. 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 And that, so let me back up a little bit. Before I went away, my dad, like I left school in, in 10th grade. Did oh wow. You, did, did, did you ever have a, like a real job? Yeah, I sort of did some, I, I built caravan annexes and I, I did some jobs along the way to earn some, some cash. But, but it was Australia leg of surfing that got you the money to go to Europe. It was yeah, mostly in yeah, sponsors. Yeah, yeah, and sponsors and, and my parents chipped in and, yeah, and all okay. that. So, um, but at the time my dad said like, okay, you're leaving in 10th grade, I'll give you two years. I'll give you year 11 and year 12 to make something of surfing. And if you don't, then wow, you're out. So, no so how old are you? Tenth grade. Uh, Fifteen. And so I actually went. The only thing I liked to do at school was draw. So I actually went on um, and did a, a, a to a junior college and did a certificate in fine art uh, for a year. And it was two and a half days a week. It allowed me to still do the junior circuit in Australia. Allowed me to do, and I was still getting a degree. Um, which was amazing. That could get you technically a job somewhere with yeah. a degree. Like, and, and so, but your dad said, "I'm going to give you two years, 15 to 17, yeah, to make something of yourself, yep, to become a professional surfer." Yeah, yeah. That's a hard. And he's and, and, see, and then at that stage, if there's no if there's no signs of, you know, this is yeah. what it's going to be, then it's like, go go, dude, go get yeah. a job. I can get How job. old were you when you won the pro junior? It was I. I was 17. Okay. Yeah. So it was make or break year. <laughs> yeah. So, but I, I, so I, I went and did this certificate in fine art and, um, which was right. I was 15. I walked into my first class, which was life drawing. Um, and this girl stands up and drops the robe. And, and oh, I, you're like, hell yeah. I'm like, <laughs> high five, man. I'm like, oh my did God, you even I scored. And then the next week it's a dude. Like, oh no. Oh my God. This is the worst class ever. And so, did but, you know that was part of the curriculum? No, like, no, they no, didn't tell you. I just, I just said certificate in fine art, and I'm like, yeah, I can do that. Yeah. So hit some nudes. Yeah. So hope you made them look a little. Well, I, what, what I did was the, girl, the class was mainly full of girls, and I actually traded positions depending on where the model sat. So yeah, the dudes I was just drawing side angles, like yeah. like like the back yeah. side. And then, yeah, I got um, full frontal with obviously the... Yeah, because girls like to keep those uh, paintings. I don't know, there might be somewhere, yeah. <laughs> it, was a, it was actually a rad class because I did life drawing, object drawing, yeah. I taught history, I did photography, I did sculpture. Wow. Yeah, uh, if that's your, your passion, you're yeah, like, yeah. it's not really school, it's like you're just going yeah. and learning cool shit. Yeah, it was rad. So, um, and then, yeah, like the, that, that was the time when Australian thing was starting to progress more and I'd made the nationals and then I decided in the following year because it was only a one year course I'm going and I went and um, yeah in Europe we had an extremely successful yeah. campaign uh, and come home and I had enough money in my pocket to, to fund myself to go to Hawaii I went to Hawaii I think for like two or three months and at the time too Quicksilver were great so sorry to keep jumping around but That's coming good. back to, to Europe um, I won the Quicksilver Pro Junior and I'm, I'm in there, in at Quicksilver, sending a fax back home to my parents to say that I won. Um, fax. Yeah. Right, fax again. Yeah. You hear that? Fax. Yeah. And so I'm writing out the fax and then, and then in walks Kelly and he just signed 
with Quicksilver. No way. And Harry Hodge is like, oh, do you know Kelly Slater? I'm like, nah, how are you, mate? <laughs> That's and, how you uh, you're sending a fax yeah, to your parents yeah. and he comes walking in. And so Harry's like, hey, like you've been You knew about world. him, but you just never met him. I never really knew that much about him. Wow. So like, yeah. this is 1990, 91? Yeah. Yeah, and, and I, I want to say maybe I'd heard of Kelly. I can't remember, but... At the time, mate, Nicky Wood was the god. Yeah, yeah. Right? Like, 16 year old. I didn't know much about Yeah, this guy won belts. Wonder right? Kid. Yeah. And so, Kelly wasn't really on the radar. Um, maybe I did hear about him, but yeah, he, he just signed a massive deal with Quicksilver. Yeah. And uh, and Harry's like, hey, Todd, can you look after Kelly and show him? I'm like, yeah, no worries, mate. And so I just took him surfing and, you know, we connected and it was great. And Harry's like, hey, mate, like, you want the Pro Junior? As a bonus, I'm going to give you free accommodation to, at all the stops, right? And you can you can Sick. stay with Kelly and Sean. I'm like, yes, yeah. you can save money. So um, I did that um, and got on with Kelly and Sean and, and yeah, did um, Lacanelles at the contest when obviously Kelly got third against Curran. Yeah, you know, and and that, that was that time period. That was that time period. Yeah. That was that heat. You yeah, know? and net back now when you look at it, Kelly like obviously smoked. Tom, but but back then it was all rail game. They didn't right? know how to score that. No, it was all rail game. Yeah, Tom's yeah. doing Tom things, and, yeah. and uh, Tom at the time too. I think Tom won the world title that year, and he was like doing crazy stuff, you know. Yeah. Um, and so that was a great experience, you know, like to to have that. All I mean, just to have all of that fall into place, like yeah. you know, on your last year of what your dad gave you a lot of time for. Yeah, yeah, and then and then so. Um, I actually then jumped in. I was always originally going to travel with Shane Powell and Shane Herring. And so when those guys got to there for the tour, um, I sort of jumped in a car with those guys and then also Jake Pato. So it was Hero, Pato, um, um, Powley and myself. Yeah. And so then we like went... the who's who of Australian surfing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And Hero the was... The who's fucking who. Yeah, Hero was, was blowing the, up. Yeah, they were, they were, that was the, the squad. Yeah. Uh, that was the same year that... Shane and Slater, or was that a year later? Year later, um, okay. yeah, because because at that time too, um, we did the Pro Junior, right? The next year, like the the O and E Hot Butter Pro Junior, which was the global Pro Junior that everybody wanted to do at Narrabeen, um, and so we're still competing. Like Kelly came down and did that Junior. Yeah. Um, Ross and Shane. At the time, so I met Ross and Shane in Hawaii in '99, and then Ross and Shane came and stayed with me. Um, Yeah, so, but so yeah, through Europe, and so then I went on the Europe leg. Continued. Kelly went back um, to come back and win trusses at that time. Oh, is that after? Yeah. Okay. And then um, did the black and white feature and all that, and then uh, uh, I went on with Pauli Hero, and that we went from Biritz down to Spain. Um, and then we went on to Portugal, um, so it was a rad situation and a rad, rad event. Um, and then, like I said, from there I went home with enough money to go, okay, yeah, I'm going okay. to Hawaii. You came back a, an international surf star. Yeah, at that stage, Pretty much, like, right? like, I, I don't know how much it changed because, because it wasn't live, right? Like, it was you had to wait for the magazines to come yeah. out before anybody knew you'd done anything. Sure. But what did change was yeah, I I started to meet like obviously more superstars. Yeah, yeah, I started to mingle like I was with Powley and I was with these guys. 
um, you know, and um, I was in the right crew. I was actually training with Shane Herring at the time. A guy called Terry Day was was a ex-pro boxer, and he was training myself, and he trained Damien Hartman at the time, and so there was also um, uh, who else? Brady Warner. Um, these guys were training all there, so mm. that was another sort of evolution to my sort of uh, progress. And um, yeah, and then uh, I prepped for Hawaii, and um, I went there, and because uh, I was riding for Quicksilver, I was able to stay at Kiki Harley. Um, which yeah. is right there, just down from Logs. That's that's um, Clark Little Zone. Yep. Um, and then I went from there. Uh, what, what was your big wave experience? Uh, Up to then, just reefs around in, in Oz. Where I'm from, there's crazy reefs, like big, uh, big. Yeah, and there's powerful. Heavy, yeah, good slabs, you know. Um, and so you're so, you're comfortable. In the yeah, I, I was completely comfortable going to Hawaii, and um, but I'd never surf like sunset, right? Yeah, I'd never surfed anything like that. So it was good because I stayed again in Kiki. I stayed with this guy Garth Dickerson and Shane Herring. Uh, we were all sponsored by Quicksilver, so we we're in one house. Kelly was in the house next door, um, and so me and Kelly had a competition at the time where to see who could get up uh, the earliest, and so. He kept waking me up, and one morning I got up, like I woke up at like one or two in the morning. So I went in and got him up and said, "Come on, dude, let's go! I got you up. I, I, I won." And then, and then uh, he started getting his board shorts and he waxed up his boards. He's like, "What's the time?" I said, "It's two a.m." <laughs> <laughs> but but that was a great trip. Um, I learned a lot. Like I learned, you know, to surf sunset, and and um, I met a really good crew. Um, I met Ross. I met Shane. You know, I met the crew, I met Todd Chessa, who was just... The man. The yeah. Man, you know, and Chessa, Chessa was really funny, you know, Chessa hated me, yeah. like he does with everyone, and... Uh, but Tough I, love. I grew on him, and uh, he ended up um, picking me up a lot in his car, and he'd take me surfing, and he nicknamed, he gave me the nickname Convict, and it, like, I remember he turned Because all Australians yeah. are convicts. <laughs> he turned up one day, and he's like, yelling out, Convict! come out in the balcony I'm like what and like the waves are massive like it's closing out everywhere and stuff and he's like get your board and I'm like oh where are we going yes he goes doesn't matter just get the biggest board you've got oh and my god so he paddled me up me and Shane Dorian and like Shane's like loving it yeah and it's like sunset Frosty just full closing out there's only three of us out but it was a great experience you know and, and so I was fortunate enough to have so many like good yeah. fun experiences yeah um you know at this stage i think i'm like 18 right so from that age of like 14 to 18 was kind of jam-packed with growth and yeah yeah fun experiences but you're you know obviously you're 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 upping your, your yeah. game you yeah. know like yeah. when you're with that caliber of surfers like yeah. The inspiration, the, the the back and forth. The, well, if he's doing that, then I could do that. You know, like you're in the who's who, but you're also like, sure. You know, not thinking about. I, I never really saw myself <clears throat> growing up. Like, I always focused on my technique. Yeah. And I always try to focus on having good, clean style. And you know, I loved. Hear that, Grums? Yeah. Yeah. Well, style. Curran was the master, right? And that yeah. was my idol that I grew up sort of watching and you know it morphed obviously into guys like pots and stuff like that yeah. as well but um you know that was what i sort of aspired to um and, but i never really saw myself 
on their level and especially at a competition level um, until it, it, it started to shift and that pro junior was probably I ended up getting third Shane beat me that fucker at the hot butter <laughs> one yeah yeah. Uh, in the semis and that was the one that was super controversial because it was the first time a non-Australian two Americans two Americans yeah. yep and they they, they we, rubbed it in your face going switch foot and well, which was funny right because we <laughs> spoke about it before and they were like hey Shane let's just go switch foot on the first wave I'm like that'd be so funny yeah and then they did that like just it was so innocent yeah. it wasn't to rub it in anyone's face yeah. they just wanted to have fun yeah and then yeah obviously that got got turned into There's backlash yeah. yeah um so going back to when you know you're starting to be a good surfer and competing well and you know your dad said you have two years to make it as a professional surfer we come when back you, with all that money. When you look back, though, <laughs> when you when you decide to be a professional surfer, what did that what did that mean? Like, what you know what I mean? Like, as a career, sure. what did you think you were gonna do? Because like professional surfing is so you know, competing contests. Yeah. Right. Like, but if you're not sponsored and making sure. money, yeah. travel budget, all those things that make you a professional but also make it a livelihood a career you know what i mean yeah the europe trip changed like um my thought process for sure because i come back not only wanting to do that but i come back going knowing that i could do that and so from there it also changed my um place in the in the in the queue right like my pecking order i I'd sort of moved up Quicksilver were then a lot more receptive and, and like, hey, we're going to give you... Like um, instant, con- yeah. renegotiate contracts, yeah, yes. budget, and salary. We're going to give you a budget to yeah. travel next year. You're going to do the full tour and stuff like that. And so that was like, okay, epic. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, and so that changed. My maturity level had changed, you know. Um, I had a lot of experiences in Europe and, you know, I come back and go, okay, like I said to my dad, like I had to sit down with him. I'm like, hey, dude, I'm training for Hawaii. I'm going, yeah. I'm going to go for two, three months. Um, and he's like, all right, yeah. get after it, yeah. let's go. You, you and, proved and, to him. And then, yeah, that, that dynamic, we met with Quicksilver and we met with these sponsors and they were like, yeah, we're all in. And then also, too, I was starting to get a lot of publicity and, you know, waves were calling for for trips, trips and surfing life and Ted yeah. Grambos and, you know, like yeah. all these prominent photographers, you know, like were calling. Um and so that was like, okay, it's, it's gone, it's, it's, it's on, yeah, yeah. And, and this is what I want to do. And I, I like to ask that because, you know, for people that listen to the podcast that are aspiring pros or just curious about how that works, because yeah. I yeah. sat in, you know, watching this guy, yeah. you know, become a pro surfer sure. and what he did, you know, making sure he's in front of this photographer worked a lot of this work. sponsor yeah. you know what I mean like it's it's neat to see because you know it's surfing yeah you know it's it's a it's a hobby for most people yeah. Yeah. and a, a, a career for very few for yeah. sure and for you know when you look at that side of things like you fucking bought a car and camped out yeah. you know but you're young enough to do that yeah. right yeah. but when you can do that for so long and, and Live that way for so long, at, you know uh, what I mean? We we that's the thing is I think yeah, all these pro surfers are it's all glamorized like oh you just 
make all this money at the beginning, you know, and you're on tour and you're traveling. It's like, no, you're, you're splitting a car with buddies. You're camping out. You're staying at a hostel. You're sleeping on the beach. You're like, almost dying with the airplane. Yeah. Like, hey, yeah. Like, like it's not as glamorous at first, you know, for very, you know, there's maybe a few, like, you know, like you mentioned Slater, so I mean, do <laughs> Slater, you know, but for the most, it, it's a working class grind at the beginning, you know, to prove yourself. And then once you get those accolades and those results or that coverage and then the sponsors to give you more and give you more and you get bigger. Yeah, look, like if I look at it right, like, like Pally was predestined to, oh, yeah, yeah. He, his career was already mapped out. He was such a talented junior. Um, my career was not. Yeah. And, and I fell into really good situations, right? At the right time. Yeah. Like I fell into the Maruba situation at the right time. I fell then into the Cronulla situation at the right time. I then, you know, not fell, but I placed, I, I was there. Yeah. And, and I stepped up when I had to uh, in each of those situations to keep progressing. But I was fortunate enough. But the one thing I would say is the whole way along, all of these situations and all of these trips that were just so much fun yeah you know and we were having so much fun yeah you know and, and not mixed business for pleasure yeah well, just and, not knowing and, and being a little naive but yet like that's sometimes really good because you yeah. just roll with the punches yeah. and you just think like you don't have well this is how it's being you don't know how it's going to be you just yeah. live it and yeah. that's it's kind better of the best to, experiences it's better to have not know what you're going to face yeah. than to know it yeah and, and it's and, uh, and, th- and to that point, right, so later on in life, like later on on the tour, yeah. I knew that from my house in Jerringong that it was going to take me 54 hours to get to Hossigal. Yeah. I knew every single step that I had to do. Yeah. I knew even what my breakfast was going to be when I landed in Heathrow, yeah. right? Like to that point, it got old. Yeah. And I was like, I don't want to do this right now. I don't yeah. want to get on this plane. I don't want to sit in a, a seat for 50 hours. Yeah. And so it does. Like, like that mindset shifts, you know, and, and um, it's all a mindset, right? Like, yeah. like one person sitting there going, you've got the best life ever. I'd kill for that. And then you're sitting on that plane for yeah. 50 hours going, fuck, this sucks. I got to drag two giant board bags through the freaking airport like right now and, and try to find a car and hopefully they don't break. And yeah, yeah it, it is. There's a lot of... Yeah, there's, there's, there's a lot work. of responsibility that yeah. comes with in the end, right? Like, could, because you, at the end of the day, you're still trying to get results. Yeah. And even if you're Kelly, you can stay, you can get a, you can rent a better car, you can maybe fly business class and you can do it a little easier. But at the end of the day, you still got to compete. Yeah. Everybody's got to compete and you've got to grind it out. Yeah. And, and so it's hard for everybody. Um, yeah. But it was, at that time, it was every, like, you're talking about a kid from Jeringong, right? Yeah. That bought a board for 10 bucks, right? Like, so I'm just like, oh, man, this is a bonus. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I'm just meeting all new friends around the world. And I'm just enjoying seeing all these new places. And, yeah. um, you know, like, for sure, I started to take it a lot more serious. And, and the Kelly era, f- for sure, was great, right? Even at that time, we knew we were part of something. Like, it was, it was a shift. Yeah. You're shifting out of the Bart Lynch and Damien Hartmans into the new generation, yeah. right? And this new generation coming through was a movement. You know, and I remember, I remember my first year in Zaraus. Um, you what? First in year Zaraus. in Spain, right? Okay. In Zaraus. Um, and I was at the contest and um, I was practicing the day before and it was late. And 
I was walking back up the beach and I saw Kerr bikes. And Rod Kerr was a pro surfer, was yeah. prominent at the time mm-hmm. on the tour. And Kerr bikes walked out, we're talking, he put his board in the rack and he walked into the bar next door. And I'm like, hey, see you later, Kerr bikes. All right, and went down. And then I was, I was down because I was like 7 or 13 in the morning. And so I was down there early and I had a surfer come in. And, and then Kerr bikes first heat. I remember seeing Kerbox walk out in the same pair of board shorts at the bar. Walk up, get his board, check in, get his singlet, walked out there, got four nines, walked back in with 12 minutes to go on the heat, put his board back in the rack, gave his singlet, walked back in the bar. <laughs> I'm like, oh my God. That's a veteran right there. That was like, fuck, what is that that? that's what I've got to do. Wait, <laughs> he got four nines? Got four nines. It was four waves back then. And, and it was like, I was like, nine point rides, yeah. four or nine point yeah. rides. With 13 minutes left in the heat and he walked yeah. back. Walk back in, walk back into the bar. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Like this is, and, but then it, <laughs> it shifted, right? Yeah. Cause Kelly wasn't drinking. No. Kelly wasn't going out late. Yeah. Like if you were, if you were in Kerbox's heat, like I had many heats with Hoy where we just said, okay, look, we're, if we're going out, we're drinking together and we're drinking all night. Like we're, we're not going, we're going home together. Like kind yeah. of thing. Like it's like, okay. Fair, fair, fair yeah. is fair. But no, if you had Kelly, you like, you know, he's in bed. He, yeah. he had a good meal, he's in bed, yeah. he's training. Yeah. And that whole shift came yeah. through. Um, and that's definitely what surf, pro surfing needed at the time for sure, because yeah. it, it stepped up a level into professionalism. And, yeah. yeah. You know, um, Shane and Ross and, and Kelly and Rob, these guys drove that like professionalism. Yeah. Um, it's funny. You bring that up because that's definitely a paradigm shift in the culture and the sport. Yeah. Um, but also, like, you know, the magazines and the videos that started really becoming more of a, a, a platform for pro surfers sure. to, to utilize to, you know, to make a living. Yeah, the mag- I think the magazines also shifted from just an occasional trip and then covering like the contest you know yeah. to 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 embracing more of a, a lifestyle and you know like it, it was kind of happening at the same time yeah, yeah exactly it, it was all coming together for sure at that time and, and it was that that shift right from i think um you know like i said like i want to say i qualified in 94 um because the, the the shift had come from asp too Right, so it was three rounds of trials, it was then man on man, but what was happening, the, the events were getting so full that there was three rounds of pre-trials just to get into the trials. Wow. Then there was three rounds of trials, then there was the back 16, then the front 16, then you started really into the contest. Wow. So I don't it, know any of that because the line never made it out of those trials. <laughs> 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 but, but it was... It was shifting um, and the ASP had to shift with it, right? Because yeah. there were so many members that contests were getting too full. So they went to that 44 format and they said, okay, I think it was like 92. Okay, 92 or 93, it was like, okay, everybody, this is the last year of this format. We're moving to this format. So you, if you finish in the top 44, uh, you're qualified for next year. If you're not, you're on the QS. Yeah. And, and so that was where it shifted. Um, so everything was happening at that same time, you know, and that shift. Yeah. And like I said, I, I think I qualified in 94, but that shift happened. Like, as I qualified, my hero at the time, Martin Potter, retired. 
Yep. And he handed me my Rookie of the Year trophy and, and, and said, this guy's freaking awesome. He's going to kick some ass. And I'm out. Crazy. <laughs> I'm like, oh my God. I like, I, I want to continue yeah, but, with you. But, but um, that was the shift that was happening. Like, yeah. 94 old, Rookie of the Year. Yeah. Yeah, around there, yeah. So, yeah, so it, it was... Um, How long did it take you to qualify? Uh, about two years, yeah. three years. Two, two years, I think. How was um, that? Because it was a shift, right? Because because yeah. what happened was, like, Harold and Pauli and that were already, like, Pauli was, like, they were already winning contests, you know, kind of thing. So um, they were already more advanced. Again, like I said, I didn't ever feel like I was at that level. Um, but what, I kept progressing. Um, and then what happened when it went to QS, like, you had three events in Australia, you had two, one or two events in South Africa, um, might have been some Europe events like France and stuff. Yeah. But ideally, like the Bud Tour became the mecca. Yeah. Like that became you either went to Brazil to compete at their tour. Yeah. Or you went to well, the Bud Tour qualified. You know. Yeah. Rob Kalani, Deffenbaugh, yeah. uh, uh, yep. uh Taylor Knox, Pat O'Connell. Yep. Like the the list of Americans came off the Bud Tour outside of doing Hawaii and a couple other spots. But that was the. Yeah, and so th- at that time, like I, that's when I moved to the US, mm. like in '92, I want to say, and and um, I was like, okay, well, like I'm going to compete in Australia and do South Africa, yeah. um, but then I'm moving to Northern Hemisphere and I'm doing the Bud Tour, and so I started doing the Bud Tour. Um, what brought then. you to the US? The Bud Tour? Yeah, or? the fact that 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 there was a tour here. Like I either had the choice to stay in Brazil and and do that tour like because there were so many consistent events back to back or go to the US so I was I'm going to the yeah. US and that Bud Tour was about 10 to 12 events yeah you know if you did included Hawaii and East yeah. Coast you know and and at the time too, too like I was like obviously now close with Shane and Ross and Kelly and Rob and you know Matt Lars like I'm, yeah. I, I met Benji I met you know like Taylor Steele then was a part of that the whole thing coming up so it was an easy decision for me to come across here and go okay well I'm going to base myself out of here out of the northern hemisphere I'll go to Europe from here but I'll come back to the US um, and start doing those Bud Tour events where, where did you move to the US? Uh, I moved to Oceanside so the guy that was doing burn surfboards was a guy called Michael Barron yeah uh, MB and MB I moved in with MB he took me in and um, his family took me in and, and yeah oh, right. Was rad, mate. MB was amazing. His family was amazing, and um, yeah, he really um, assisted my progression again yeah. to another level. So yeah, it was, but again, that, this was another rad like pocket, you know, where was the the Bud Tour times. Were, yeah. Again, it was fun events. You'd go on a San Fran to surf OB. You'd go on a Santa Cruz. Um, you know, I, I was very fortunate because some of these events were right-hand point breaks, which is what I grew up on. So at that time, uh, no foreigner, I don't think, had won a Bud Tour event. Um, and I was told that you can't win them. And so I ended up winning Malibu. So I was the first ever Australian to, to win Malibu, um, I think in 94. And, and But it was a right-hander, and I grew up on a right-hander. Yeah. Like, so it was... And you've got that wicked fucking... <laughs> bottom turn off the top slash fucking yeah, you know, last grading what was really interesting I spoke to a couple of the judges at the time like especially at the end of the event and um, paid them off yeah 
Beshan, like it was T-Bone, like Terence McNulty and, wow. and Beshan and I think that Chris Galley, AR, Rapogel. Yeah. Like it was all these guys, right? And, and at the time, like, um, like the Beshan was punting airs, you know, he was like surfing so far advanced. I was finishing waves at the end because I'd done this at home, but I was coming up and before the closeout, I was doing a full roundhouse. And, Instead of just hitting the end. Yeah, yeah. And finishing it. And the judges came at the end and they were like, like, man, we hadn't seen that. It was like trippy like, to see someone doing a fucking roundhouse. And I was like, oh, yeah. Like, I kind of grew up on points like that. Yeah. You know, so I was... Yeah, that was the well, difference. Well, it wasn't, yeah, it wasn't... Well, I don't know if it was different. It was just unusual for them. So yeah. I was like, oh, okay, that's that's good to know, you know, for yeah. future reference. So, but the time, that time frame was great. Like I said, like I... I I, li- I lived with MB, but I trained with Taylor Knox every yep. day. Oh, shit. Yeah, Taylor picked me up um, every day. I didn't have a car, so he would just pick me up. And then that organically morphed into the winter before Taylor Steele had come over and, and lived in a van at Benji's house and shot all videos. So I knew Taylor, uh, Rob, and we were then starting to do all the filming for Momentums. And that was the start of that whole crazy sort of uh, movement as yeah. well. Yeah. Did Which, you did you imagine how big of a deal Taylor Steele and the <laughs> generation friends would be? Friends putting out another story. Yeah, I remember it? like Rob brought over Taylor and we're all at Benji's house and, and he's like, hey, this is my friend Taylor. He wants to film us. And, and the deal was, okay, dude, you can be the filmer for us. Like, that's fine. But we have to watch the footage after every surf. Yeah. And he's like, okay, cool. Deal. Yeah. And so that was the deal. Yeah. And so that was how it all started. And then, yeah, it just, it just morphed into a point. And I think, Lars, you can speak better to this, but Billabong wrote it in guys' contracts. Yeah. If, yeah. if you're in a Tales Steel movie, do not bother coming back. Yeah. Like, you're yeah. out. And so, yeah, it made so many careers and, and obviously really yeah. benefited mine. Like, I, at the time, like, I didn't look at it like, I was one of the only Australians. I was just friends with everybody, you know, and, and we were all surfing and competing together. I didn't see um, countries and borders at the time. I yeah. just, just, it was just mates, you know, and yeah. at the time I was living in the US um, and, and there was a bunch of Australians over here at the time because, you know, Sean Munro's and, and Bano's and all these guys were over here competing in the same yeah. contest. Yeah. Um, but you, you, know, to get, you know, outside of the Bud Tours, Located centrally, globally, to where you're yeah. not traveling 50 hours. Yeah. You know, you're cutting down your, your your time, and it's a little bit more feasible and economical. Yeah. And you know, surfing here is you're in the you're in the mecca. Yeah, and that and that's for sure. That's what. Again, I came here with an innocent approach, just to go. Well, you know, I got mates there. I got a sponsor there. I can yeah. just move there. And at the time, I thought like, oh, I'm a good small wave surfer. And when I got here, I'm like. I surfed a couple of days in the small waves. I'm like, holy fuck, I'm such a shit surfer <laughs> in small waves. I'm like, oh my God, I gotta get better fast. Um, and I was watching Taylor and like these guys and I'm like, how do you even surf like that in these yeah. waves? Because the waves here are just you know, so not, flat, yeah. you know? Yeah, and, no and, punch. Uh, yeah. And so it took me time, but you know, then, then the Oceanside thing happened for me where I became part of that community and the Jamie Stones, you know, the Charlie Andersons of the world. Yeah. Like, these guys were legends and they Slam took me easy. under their wing. Yeah. They took me under their wing as well and and um, really assisted me in my growth 
here and I was shooting with Taylor and, and training with Notty and So tell us uh, how you made it onto the big stage. Because I've never heard it from this guy, but you know. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I was in a good small way for too. That's why that's why I couldn't get off the QS. Yeah. Because, uh, so I mean, that's huge. Yeah. I, I was uh, like I said. So this is um, ninety-four. Ninety-four, and and we're already a couple of years in, I think, to the split for ASP, or a year into the split, and so I was fortunate enough. Like I said, I think I, I won Malibu, and that really set my my pace, um, I had some good consistent results. I'd already competed in uh, Europe, like I, I was already four years into going into Europe, so I was, I was familiar with that place there. Um, so I had some good runs, um, and I was able to just get enough points to qualify um, for a 95 setup. Yeah. And, and, and how, like, how fulfilling is that? You know, like, I'm telling your dad, you know, dad, I'm fucking on the world tour. Yeah, and that stage then, like, like you know, I'd had a lot of success, and I think I, I can't remember when Taylor's movies first came out, but you know, yeah. everything was blowing up at the same time. Yeah. And so, at that stage, uh, Dad had stopped having the conversations at a local level about me coming back to football. <laughs> yeah. And so, um, yeah, he was stoked. He was yeah. stoked that I was following my yeah. dream and and um, you know, chasing it hard. You know, he knew the work that I put in and. Um, I was fortunate enough to grow up with two parents that gave me work ethic and, yeah. you know, um, yeah, pushed me into chasing my dreams. Like, yeah. It's pretty out of the ordinary, you know, even these days for, for people to go, you know what, like, yeah, take, take your time and, yeah. and don't go straight into a college or don't go straight into, a, into work, just chase your dream for a while yeah. and see how that goes, you know. So. And that's how it should be. You yeah. Know? Like, you know, you're still a kid. And yeah, still as long as you out. dedicate your time and your passion into it. No, for sure. Yeah, yeah. you can't just be a derelict. You gotta yeah. be, yeah, you gotta be chasing something worthy of, yeah. you know. So 95. Yep. Uh, do you remember the contest that you did well? And Because you got not, Rookie of the Year. Yeah, in 94, like coming onto the tour, I was the rookie coming onto the tour. And I think I sucked when I was 95. <laughs> I was just learning. I remember though, some great advice, right? And so, yeah, best event I did was, I got, I got third at, at high school. I got equal third. Nice. Um, and, and so, best advice I got at Lackanau, I was against Beshin and I was in front and Heat's winding down, sets are coming, I have priority. Oof. And Beshin just balks me into a, paddles me into just something that was never going to be a wave. And I come in and I knew, I, like I was I was friends with Sonny at the time and, and you know, we were becoming quite good friends. And he just yelled at me. He's like, you're such a fucking dipshit. Like, you donkey. I'd rather lose weight for a fucking eight than trying to take off on a three. Like, what the fuck are you doing? And I'm like, oh, come on. Yeah. Come on. Brad's the kid, don't I? You know, and, um, but it was great advice. And it Is was, it Sonny Averton or? Sonny, Sonny Garcia. Okay. Yeah, and, and that advice turned great, like, for me, the following week at Hossigore, because I beat Sonny in the quarters, and, and I lost, uh, he, I, I won by waiting, and I took his advice. Yeah. <laughs> And yeah, sure enough, when we come in, he's like, fuck you, I'm never giving you advice again. (laughs) (laughs) 
but, but it was. But he's still fine. He is as good as shit. Yeah, but it was great, you know, and and um, that first year was a huge learning curve, you know, for me for sure. And but again, my trajectory was going up at yeah. the time, and there was obviously um, Taylor Steele stuff happening. There was a lot of um, magazine stuff happening. I think at the time, I was able to get surfer or surfing covers. Um, so there was a lot of things pointing in the right direction and yeah. just kept moving in the right direction for me for sure. And um, I think the following year, 96, I think was my biggest year on tour for sure. I think I, f- I, I got second at Bells, was my best result. Damn. And I lost to Sonny. He got me back for sure. He, he made you take off on a three. And <laughs> I actually, the, the heat was winding down and, and there wasn't that many ways in the heat, but the, the leader changed hands. Mm-hmm. Um, Every time one of us took off, the leader changed hands. And so with a minute to go, or no, a minute and a half to go, I took off on what I thought was the last wave. And I got it all the way through the beach, kicked off on the, on the sand, and yep, sure enough, took the lead. And then with 30 seconds to go, there's just a, a set come through and Sonny did Sonny and, and won. Like, yeah. He won Bells the year before yeah. against Shamu. And I was like, man, like you already got one. Yeah, could have given me one. <laughs> so, so anyway, that but that was good. That was a really good year. And yeah. each each of those years too, um, I still did the QS. I still competed in double qualified twelve or fourteen events on the QS, which a lot of guys didn't. No, yeah. and, and I just wasn't like that confident that I was going to be just a CT surfer, you know, yeah. at the time. So I just wanted to make sure that. It, I secured it so you could go out and you could do six events before the CT even really started and, and you would have a good run of points and that eased the pressure for me to go into the CT as well yeah. so um, I didn't qualify the f- I didn't requalify through like so the top 44 I think you had to finish in the top 30 to requalify or you could finish in the top 15 on the QS yeah. so the, that first year I can't remember whether so only 15 are really rotating out every year. Yeah. Which is yeah. pretty and slim pickets. Why I never made it. Yeah. <laughs> and it was and it was tough, right? Because, oh, so tough. because as a CT surfer, you had the highest seed in the QS. Yeah. So you roll up to a QS, you didn't you only had to make two leads to get really good points. So it was sort of tough to knock the CT surfers off the QS. So well, that and the, like the CTs were, you know, held at like premier spots for yeah. the most part, you know, and the QS is you're grinding out and, yeah. and below quality waves mostly. Yeah. There would be some, yeah. but it just depend on the rating. Yeah, and at that stage, I can't even remember whether priority was a thing in the QS. No. It was in my first couple of like years in the QS, mate, I, I would remember I'd turn up to an event and I'd have three Brazilians in a heat. And the youngest kid in the heat was just his job was to sit on me to make sure I never got through, right? And and that's, they had those tactics. Yeah, and that that was the fighting, like that just that was the competitiveness on the yeah. wall. You had to just figure out ways to get around that and navigate it. And yeah. So fuck. Yeah, that's kind of crazy. That there's so many things that people don't know yeah. about how it is to yeah. compete. Yeah, and like what you just said, like I never knew that. Yeah. yeah. That's fucking crazy. Yeah. And, and I it, totally believe it. Yeah. Well, and at that time too, the Brazilians were like, there was yeah. so many of them coming on, on tours, you know. Or you, you'd have guys like Sonny in your heat and Sonny would be like, you don't fucking look at a wave I'm looking at. You don't fucking power for a wave I'm looking at. Or, you know, like there, there was guys on tour that you were like, 
okay, I hope there's two waves in the set, or yeah. I hope he gets a wave, and, and when he's paddling out, a wave comes to me. Yeah. Because you don't want to cross that road, you yeah. know? Absolutely. You want to win on surfing, but yeah. you don't want to... And, and I think where, where one of my strengths were was um, I was kind of like Australians at the time, like younger Australians, not so much Damien Harmon and, and Barton and those guys who were established, but younger Australians were like, I was kind of neutral territory, you know, even when I was across here, like um, I was just neutral territory, you know, like I, I felt like I was um, not a threat in that regard I was just one of the crew yeah. you know and it wasn't seen obviously when you break it down I wasn't seen as an American at all um, but I wasn't a threat in regards to that later on it became a lot more uh, Australia versus the US for yeah. sure well it's a trip because it, it's kind of gone back and forth right yeah because when you when you say Barton Lynch and Damian Hardman mm. those guys were like competitors with a competitive mindset yep Yep. And then, and Tom Carroll too, but even Tom Carroll and like Matt Hoy and fucking Louis Egan's. And yeah, those guys raged. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And then you're, you were kind of like in the middle of that. Yeah. But not, you know. Yeah, we we came through at the tail end of some of those guys' careers, obviously. Yeah. Um, you know, and and the, there was that generational shift uh, to a lot younger. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and then yeah, came Look into the serious about yeah, meeting, yeah. And, and came into the era of Kelly. Right, yeah. this was the start of eleven world titles. You yeah. know, and his dominance in the sport. You know, and um, back then, like he just grew strength to strength. Like he was just so fucking unbeatable. Yeah, um, and everything. And everything. Everything. Yeah, yeah. He There's was no so, weakness in this. He was game. so competitive. Yeah, what makes the best surfer in the world? Like, like, like. You know, I think Nutty said it, you know, but hard work and determination will outweigh talent, talent yeah. most of the time. But when you get somebody that works just as hard and is determined and is the most competitive fucker in the world yeah. that has the most talent, then it's game over. Yeah. Then you have 11 more titles. That's the difference with, like, Kelly Slater is a fucking freak in nature, yeah. right? Yeah. And, like, you, Larson, uh, Jake Patterson... Like we had Jake the Snake on, and yeah. he's like kind of known to be one of the original, like you know, train, train, train. Mm-hmm. Like I don't know if he's original, but you know, he he took it serious. He took yeah. it seriously, and that got him results. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But a guy like Kelly, you know, sure he he like did yoga or whatever, but he never like showed him working out yeah. or like training because he was a really private person did he do that you know yeah. like did he work out or did he just surf and he's just a freak of nature it was he surfed a lot for sure yeah. but, and there was always the rumors going around like he's training he's secret training and he's doing something for sure but yeah. look Kelly is just a freak of an athlete yeah. Yeah. like he's naturally gifted um, and, and you know but in his late years like he's obviously worked a lot harder on his nutrition and he yeah. does mm-hmm. he does train and stuff like that um, but I saw like that first year we went to Hawaii and we stayed at Kiki Kelly surfed Eric Pipe every day he surfed Pipe every single day right yeah. because he knew that he was going to have to compete at that level um, and he wanted to make sure he showed up and he, he he'd been to Hawaii a bunch but he'd never really put in the time 
And so he knew, so he surfed pipe every single day. He was the first guy out and he was learning as much as he could about barrel riding and surfing pipe and getting the lineups and, and he put in the work more yeah. than anybody, right? But again, like the, the, you know, this testament through the years, like Adriana D'Souza wasn't the most talented surfer on the planet, yeah. but he was the hardest worker. Yeah. And he won a world title, yeah. you know, and um, and that goes back to Damien and, and to Barton has been those guys through the years. Like, you know, at the time there was probably more talented guys like Potts or like Tommy Carroll and, you know, Karen, um, but those guys were winning because of the, their work ethic for sure. determination. So um, it's got to be a mix for sure. You've got to have that that drive and want to yeah. do this and, and then that drives you into then training and, and um you know, that that gives you the fuel to succeed for sure. What were some of your like favorite stops on tour? Man, I had like a lot of like I loved Hawaii in those early years for sure. France was amazing. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, even got great waves in Japan. Yeah. Uh, South Africa, like you know, so incredible. Yeah, there, there were a lot of really good stops. You know, um, Indonesia is obviously yeah. being from Australia, like Indonesia is always great. You yeah. Know, so, That's yeah. my favorite place in the world yeah yeah bali and yeah Asia. yeah um but we were fortunate mate we we you know when you went there like like a stop you might have got the best ways but you might have had the most fun yeah right so that's how you just you know oh, i love that place yeah yeah i mean that's the thing is you know you always think of the waves but that's usually like a bonus on top of if it's a killer experience and culture and and you know ex- yeah. you know and place that you're just absorbed into yeah you know yeah. if there's waves and it's yeah. like bonus like japan oh what do you mean like the culture the people the yeah. food yeah. everything about them you know and then you add yeah, we got good waves actually yeah. there's some trips some trips you get phenomenal. a typhoon and you hit yeah. some of those room mounts and it's like yeah next level you know? so yeah but but yeah i think um at that time there was so many stops in so many different countries you know and, and um it was just a lot of fun like like for instance like competing at nuki right? right not the greatest wave in the world but between high tide and low tide there was a mile of difference so crazy right like high tide i'm like when i first turned up and they you know i think it was low tide and they had the scaffolding or they had the tent all the way down in front of the beach I'm like oh my god it's so far but there was the main tent set up and all that on the cliff and I'm like yeah. what's this here for Yeah. if that's down there and then sure enough I come back and the tide's like up against the cliff I'm like oh okay. have you been there before? no no. yeah it's crazy It's the tides are, are yeah, huge yeah. so oh uh, no uh, Nuki England yeah. yeah 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 we did some events there yeah, yeah. Yeah, and so it was just like you're learning different stuff. Like, it, yeah, the life the lifeguards, their tower was on a truck, and they would back it. They would back it as the tide went out, and then they put up like flags and they would yell at people like, "There's only two of us. We can't save all of you if you're not in between the flags. Like you're on your own. Like yeah. you're gonna get like yeah, yeah, yeah." It's, and and so like like you spoke to before Lars, where it's um, my first year in Europe. I'd never I'd never seen the sun stay up to eleven. Yeah, that's fucking from Jerrynong. I've never yeah. seen that before. Yeah. I'm like, what the hell? Like, People aren't going to dinner do? until like 11 or 12 at night. Yeah, I mean, like, I knew daylight saving back then. But it was, the sun was down by 8, yeah. 8.30. Like 11, I was like, I'm still, still, I'm then, especially now, mate, like in my older age, I gotta be in bed by 9. Yeah. <laughs> so how long, how long did you battle on the tour? I did 
total about 14 years, 1990 wow. up to 2004, um, and had some great times and, and good results. Um, towards the end, my priorities had just shifted, you know. Um, I met now, like I met my now wife um, when I was living in the US, uh, probably in around 92, um, you know, and so um, it was, it was awesome like and so she started traveling with me and then she moved back to australia with me um i lived in the u.s based out of the u.s to about 98 um 99 i think and then moved back to oz um and then we lived there uh, had two kids um along the way i retired in um 2004 like i said when my son ethan was born um and and just started the next chapter yeah. of my life you know at the time I was running for Ocean Earth 100% and I went to Brian Cregan they were a South Coast brand and I went to Brian and said hey dude I, I want to uh, grow I said I want to move on from being a professional surfer I want to get into business and I think I, there's a lot of things that I feel like you're missing in your business that I can help with and I pitched it to him and in the end he just he was like no nah, I can give you a contract again if you want but no nah, I'm gonna pass on that. I was like, okay, no worries. That's true. Yeah, and I just said, that's fine, mate. Like, I'm, I'm gonna go my own way. And um, yeah, I, I started my agency and uh, repping agency, and I was fortunate enough to have some connections, so I got some good brands. And um, so you, you had a exit strategy in your mind of what you were gonna do after professional. Not really. I started having the conversation with people and, and one of the guys that really helped me was Vinny Delapina. Love him. Yeah, and Vince at the time was was running Marta or owned Marta and was running that and um, you know Vince I sat on the couch with him and he goes, Look man, like like you can get just as much of a high out of business goals as you can out of winning contests. And yeah. I sort of was like oh, it's been a while since you won an event. <laughs> <laughs> and and uh, we had a laugh, but he's, he was 100% on the money. You yeah, know? And, yeah. And, and that's true to this day. You know, you can have a lot of success in business that does yeah. give you that drive. And, so, um, I'm sorry, winning. So, like winning. Yeah. Brian, Brian from Ocean Earth, you, yeah. you sat down and you said, I can help you grow your business in the past. Yeah. That's so frustrating to hear, and I mean, you like, what? What did you take away from that? Like, um, interestingly enough, like, like when Phil Macker retired, Brian did more fill into the business. So the timing was right for Brian to to wrap his head around it. And, um, when Phil McDonald retired, yeah, yeah. so and he. So, he did what you wanted yeah, to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. But it, but it was I think it was just a timing thing for Brian. Yeah. Right? He yeah. wasn't he was not ready for that transition. Um, and I took that as as like okay, like obviously hindsight, like it was a great thing. I'm glad I never got the opportunity to go to Ocean Earth because I feel like I would have just been boxed into the South Coast. Yeah. Um, I got the opportunity to get out there and to learn. And uh, like I said. Vinny threw me in deep. I got the Marta um, uh, distribution, or I was a, a, a rep for Marta the, for New South Wales, um, and it was crazy, right? Like I, uh, the guy that had the distribution in Australia, he, I don't think he really liked me, and he was kind of against me being the rep. But he's like, okay, Vince wants you to be the rep 
here it is. Here's the clothing rack. Um, your first uh, appointment is with General Pants. Which is the biggest yeah. retailer there. Biggest key. Biggest retailer in, in Australia. Australia yeah. And I walk in there and I'm like, and, and um, the guy, I forget his name. Um, Simon. No, 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 no. This was, this was the guy that I was distributing Marta at the time, but I forget what he said, but he was just like, yeah, how about it? So I walk in there and the two buyers are Toby, Sam's, and um, I forget who the other guy was at the time, but they both knew me yeah. and I knew I knew Toby for sure yeah. and we were friends and I was like, hey dude, I, I, know, I know what the fuck I'm doing. Like, Preza, we got you, bro. Sit down, sit down, we'll show you and we'll go through the line and show you how to sell it and show you what Epic. pieces what pieces to pull out and what pieces to, to hit on and this will be great for you as you go on. And they wow. basically taught me how to rip. And, oh, and, awesome. oh, it was epic, right? See, see when you're a great surfer? Yeah. yeah. And, things and, open up. Mate, but totally, cool one of those totally blessed moments. That, that, <laughs> Your you know, first appointment yeah. was with General Pants, and, biggest retailer. And I, you know, I told them that the guy wasn't that happy, like, happy, and they go, no worries, mate, we'll fuck him, we'll write you an order on the spot and we'll fucking give you a good order and stuff like that. Uh, so I come out and I just like said, here you go. And that guy was like, he was so pissed. <laughs> Stoked for the, probably his position. Well, yeah, but like, like, yeah, 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 yeah. Did you tell Vinny about this? Uh, I, I can't remember whether I told him that, that story or not, but but <laughs> yeah, like I so, and I was well, like. Now I'll listen, hopefully, and yeah. find out. Yeah. What, a, what a cocksucker yeah. that guy was. Yeah, yeah, but that, that was like, I mean, Lars, yeah, you would have ran, ran up against it, right? Because there were so many jobs for the boys. Yeah. Right. And I got a job because I was one of the boys. Yeah. Right. I didn't have any skill set. He didn't know if I was actually smart or not. Right. I, I had nothing other than yeah, relationships. With yeah. Any, but he yeah. wrote you off like without even really getting yeah. to know you. I mean, he and, and I get it from his perspective. Right. He wanted a, a seasoned agent. He wanted. Yeah. Like, he wanted orders. Right. Yeah. But I I learned through Marta and I took on. Um, Odyssey Eyewear um, at the Odyssey. time was starting to blow up in Australia and then I actually got a, a girls brand called Aztec Rose and Aztec Rose was freaking out of control it was that already had it was such a iconic brand in surf shops that when you walked in all the female buyers were like we love Aztec Rose we already got dollars set aside for you wow we got you dollars Aztec Aztec Rose, Rose. And it was Jody Mears um, who became, who went on to become Jody Packer. Um, but Jody Mears, and she formed, I think, in the end, I think she went on to Tiger Lily. Tiger Lily. Uh, yeah. And, okay. And, but she, she was part of the Aztec Rose program, and yeah, it was, it was crazy because so that way, then I met other agents from the other regions, and I started to learn. Like when I first went into it, I was like, like I was like, how do I make money? And they're like, well, you sell this and you get a commission. Okay, what's my commission? Like, 10%. And I'm like, oh, fuck. I'm like, okay, well, so if I do $2 million in business, I get 200K? And I'm like, yeah, but you're never going to do that. <laughs> so I learned. So you were like wet behind the oh, ears. Man, that was no, yeah. no comprehension of the title, no co comprehension of the duties. No comprehension yeah. of the business. Yeah. I got to pay for my own gas, my own insurance, my own sample line, my own yeah. uh, garment, yeah, whatever. Yeah, all that. I was just taking it on because I was like, okay, I got to hustle. Um, 
my wife, you know, and, and uh, now I've got a family, so I've got to hustle, right? So Holy shit. Yeah. And so I started hustling and uh, learning as much as I could on that side. And it was interesting at did the you, time. Did you save money or? Um, I was fortunate enough. I, like we invested well, we had a house. Um, I bought a couple of houses and stuff and, and I was fortunate enough. And my wife at the time, like when I was finishing off my career, um, she went to, she was from the US, but when she got to Australia, she went on and did her um, uh, degree in psychology. she became a psychologist. So she got straight into work um, from there. Um, but then there was that period in time when the kids were born. So my son was born in February of 04 and my daughter was born in July of, of 05. So there back was to back, back to back, right? Yeah. Back yeah. to work mode. Yeah, yeah. And so <clears throat> my wife was obviously on maternity leave, but, but so it was up to me to make the transition happen quicker than yeah, yeah. probably most, right? Like that transition. You're not change. making money for six months at least. Yeah. 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 I remember the time... We went to Queensland um, for a vacation, just a family vacation to get away, and we're doing it on the cheap. I had some friends that had a unit, we're staying there for free, and all the rest of it. And we had the kids, and we're just, you know, we're cooking at home, we're doing all that. But anyway, I went to the bank and I and I drew out some money out of the ATM, and my account said forty five thousand dollars, and I'm like, what the fuck? You didn't know you had it? No, I'm like. What, what's that from? Like, <laughs> like, and I was like, what the hell? Got some commissions. Yeah, and so I looked into it and it was like my first big couple of payments from Aztec Rose. And I'm like, holy shit. Like, like I'm, I'm you're rich, bitch. I just won bells. Yeah, and, and so, like, <laughs> and, and, and and I told them, we were so stunned. Like, yeah. was, and I thought it was not real. I was like, don't spend any of your money because if it's not ours, we can't fucking pay it back. And so, it was crazy, you know, at that time, like, um, I remember we got our first check from Aztec Rose and like the commission check come and my wife and we were so excited and we opened the check and it was for $7.13. <laughs> and like, we literally just started crying, laughing and we pinned the check up on the fridge and it was like, okay, we're not cashing it, but we're just gonna, that's gonna yeah. be our first so, check. You yeah, know? Yeah, yeah, and uh, it was funny because the lady from Aztec, oh, did you ever get that check? And said, Oh yeah, she goes. Well, did you cash it? And I said, No, no, because it's seven bucks. Yeah. And, so, and she goes, Oh, look, I'll send you another one. Just keep that one. But uh, awesome. Yeah. So it was. So back, backtrack to you deciding to be a rep. Yeah. And you you talk to um, Vinny, and Vinny says, Oh, to the distributor, Hey, Todd's going to be our rep first. You know. Yeah. Uh, you know. He's gonna do it, and you're like, okay, your first appointment's general pants, like, you know, repping is, you you do everything. You you make the appointments, you, you know, you show the line, you have to have the network yep. and the connections yep. and the phone numbers and the emails. Yep. And so like, and just like figuring out, there's so much to it, it's a simple job. Yep. But not everyone can do it. How, how soon did you get, like... Did you get a list Aztec of... Aztec Rose and, and Odyssey, I were after Mata. Like, was it all pretty close together? Yeah, so at that same time, and this is what I should back up a little bit, when I, when I retired from surfing, I started elite coaching. 
right? Because at the time... Coaching. Yeah. Okay. And, and at the time, there was no coaches. The only coach in Australia really was Martin Dunn. Um, and he was more of a style and technique coach. And there was no one that was really coaching around competitive surfing. Yeah. And so I took on a stable of kids. I was very blessed to have the stable. I had Mitch Cruz, who was living in Jeringal at the time. I had Dean Bowen. I had this young kid, Tommy Salverson, who was a huge talent. So I had a bunch of kids, and then my number one kid was Sally Fitz. Oh, wow. And her dad was my high school surf coach. So um, she lived in Jeringal as well. Um, she was born and raised there, and, and so she was roughly about 10 or 12 at the time. And her dad, Martin, I started coaching uh, her brother, Simon, who was an extremely talented young surfer as well. And so I started doing all that, and then I got Sal. And, and so I was doing that and then growing the repping agency at the same time. Yeah. Um, so I was sort of hustling on both ends. I'd, I'd come over from an appointment and head straight down the beach and sit there and coach the kids and, um, and sort of just nonstop hustling. And the coaching evolved into sports management. Uh, I ended up managing about 25 athletes. Wow. Um, you know, I, I, I worked then with a a buddy who had a sports management firm called Titan Management and uh, he had about 350 football players that he managed and uh, cricketers and all that so I started his surf program and I was able to get like Wilco and, and Ace Buck in and um, wow. I had the Hazard Twins um, I had Sal Fitz um, we, we had a, a good stable of athletes you know coming through Dean Bowen and, um, and so yes yeah. kind of organic simultaneously to the agency thing was all happening at the same time so i was coaching sports managing and, and agency work uh selling and um so it it all happened pretty quick i think like i said at 04 i got hurley in 07 which was the sort of game changer for yeah, me yeah. my a agency went from um i went uh aztec rose i got colt Colt. Yeah, yeah. Surf Colt. It was, it was Colt back then. Um, Odyssey. So I had a good stable of brands. Um, I was hustling then. I was very fortunate enough, again, like the guy that was the rep for Billabong was one of my good mates. The guy that was the rep for Quicksilver, Chris Kelly, he was one of my good mates. The guy that was the rep for uh, Rip Call, Mickey Peters, he's a good mate. All these guys would walk into store, Quickie, Billabong, and Rip Call, and they were the majors. And, and the store held the open to buy for those guys and they would always ask okay who is a brand that I need to look out for and they would go hey um, when I got Hurley they were like Prezo you need to speak to him but they would always give me the contact of the buyer they would nice. always slide yeah. me into to yeah. showings and stuff like that I was very fortunate to to be able to work off the back of these guys um, and, and, they, and we all would go away uh, and stay in the same places and set up in the same places so that it made it easier for stores to come and see you and we'd have dinners and surf yeah. and stuff. So it was, it was a lot of fun. And um, yeah, in that pocket, so 2007, like I said, I got Hurley and, and that that was when it really started to ramp up. Ramp up. And, um, you know, I was really fortunate that, like, like I said, one of the one of the key guys was um, Dylan Longbottom's brother, Darren. Darren was a really close mate. His his own stores. He was the Billabong rep at the time, but got out of repping and bought a, a store called and he named it Zinc. 
um, and he bought a store in uh, a retail store in in Kiama. Um, and I knew Dazza for years. I I obviously travelled with Dylan at times, and so we were close family friends. And Daz was my biggest voice. Like every single retail store on the South Coast and, and inland would call Daz because he was their billabong rep in the past, and they trusted him. Hey Daz, who's the brand I need to get? Uh, Ring Preza, get Hurley. Hurley's yeah. going to Hurley's going to do something. And so when so I had feel- a good retail partner like backing up yeah because that's how we talk about this like you know it's it's really hard for a, a new brand to emerge or you know to get um you know additional distribution but it's like yeah it's kind of like a snowball effect if yep. you got a couple yep. people vouching for you you yep. got some good contacts yep. you know oh i'm in here and there and then all of a sudden like it opens up opportunity opened up and, and i learned the tricks of the trade too so when i took on hurley for that zone it was doing two hundred thousand dollars a year and so I was like, okay, 20 grand, like shit. And so that first year, I think I, I wrote $800,000 in business um, and I grew it to about a three and a half million dollar territory um, over 2007 to 2013 when I left, right? And, um, and it, was, it was great because what I was doing was I was marking catalogs and I was putting those catalogs on the desks of buyers that didn't want Hurley at the time. And then I would go back and I'd, I knew a couple of the kids and then the, I knew the guys from the board owners and say, hey kids, I'll give you money if you if you just go in every now and then and ask for Hurley yeah, yeah. in the stores. And sure enough, it only takes three people to ask. That's called guerrilla marketing. Yeah. 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 <laughs> hustling, hustling. Yeah. Yeah. And, and sure enough, it would only take three people. So I was, I was strategically growing it 30 to 40% each year, knowing that I had an account that was gonna come on and go, okay, I'll bring you on next season. You know, and I'd, I'd strategically- Make sure you're hitting that number next season. Yeah, so I kept growing it, so it, it was um, it was exciting. Like I was learning a whole new skill set. Yeah. Um, I was obviously hustling um, and driving around. I was still doing the sports management and a little bit of coaching. I, I backed away from coaching a bit. Um, and went more into the sports management side, but I really liked the coaching piece. I hated the sports management piece. Yeah. Um, Negotiating. And- yeah, I just didn't, you, you just, you're just an asshole. Yeah. yeah. Right? And you kind of got to be, but, but. I would be a good age. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. No, yeah. We'll, we'll be back when you add another zero. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, I, I merged clearly, like Hurley was my direction. Yeah. You know, so, I, you know, merged into that. At this time too, you know, my kids, uh, well, Ethan's three and, you know, Hallie's two. So like when I got Hurley, so it was the right timing. And um, it was great too, cause you know, like those kids grew up around that, like, you know, I, I would have accounts over and yeah. do showings at my house and the kids would sit in, they would sit in on the laps of the buyers and stuff like that. So yeah. it was kind of cool for them to see that and to be immersed in the surf culture, you know, and yeah. we had a really nice little house in, in Jeringong at the time. And uh, yeah, the wife was back doing her psychology stuff and, and she was really kicking ass there. And so it was a good uh, growth area for us. What, for was sure. your, what was your territory like? It was good, man. I, I basically handled south of the bridge of Sydney, okay, all the way down to the border, Victorian border, wow. um, and then out inland. I did the Snowy Mountain, which was Jindabyne, um, and then I handled inland, which was, there's a town called Wagga, or Wagga Wagga, 
Wagga has 100,000 people and it's six hours inland from the coast, you know, and so that was really good. Where Nutty's from, Daniloquin, yeah. I had an account down in Daniloquin. Daniloquin's actually in New South Wales, uh, not in South Australia, but it sits on the border of Vic, um, New South Wales and, uh, and, and South Australia. Mm. So it, um, it was great. Like, and the people out west, were, they're a totally different breed. Yeah. I still have... One of my good mates who still does Hurley for South Australia, he goes up and sees one of my accounts in Wagga, Gaza, from Tamora. And uh, <laughs> and, he's, and his store's called Gaza. Wow. <laughs> yeah, Gazas. And so, you know, it's it's epic. Those country people like that are lifers, you know. They're, yeah. they're into it. Those guys got into surf business because they were menswear stores. And you'd go and they, they'd have menswear, full menswear stores, suit and tie and, and collared shirts. And when the races come around race race week those guys would sell their entire inventory of the store uh for race week and then all of a sudden it started turning more lifestyle and they started getting some brands yeah and, we yeah. have stores like that here yeah. for sure yeah. yeah and their businesses switched from menswears to surf shops yeah crazy so, yeah so it was a good time um you know and, and like i said jerrynong was great the kids i have an older sister a younger sister my older sister has three kids um you know, all around my kids' age. All um, local at home, like in the yeah, same area? We had, we had, my mum and dad had seven grandkids in, in five years, you know, wow. so it was it was all super close and tight. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, it was great, you know, environment. We got immersed in the community. I went back to running the board riders. I ran the board riders for a couple of years and, and took on that, um, you know, took that on to, to, to give my time back to, to the club and, and what they'd done for me and yeah um, roughly in and around 2012 I want to say my my wife's dad had passed um, unexpectedly you know he was a military guy and he'd moved back up to Oregon and retired and um, you know he went to four golf wars he was a sniper in in the military wow. and um, you know he he went through a lot of shit um, and they went through a lot of experimental drugs and, and um, to anxiety medications and all these sort of things. And he smoked as well. And, and that unfortunately, he, he had a stent put in um, a couple of weeks earlier. And basically he had medication there. Like, hey, if anything starts to happen, just take the meds. Middle of the night and he, yeah, starts to have a heart attack and couldn't find his meds though. You know, and he just- Brutal. Yeah, so. So he passed away and so at that time my wife was like oh, i think we need to go back to the us yeah um, need to get back there i need to see my family and i need to spend some time and give the kids um exposure to, the exposure US. to yeah. the us and stuff so we for sure we made that decision um you know to to move back here and um which was great you know but it was it was scary scary starting over yeah it was it was different right because i didn't like, so what I did was I, I came over and um, I was able, you know, to transition from Hurley Australia to, into running wetsuits um, for Hurley USA. So that was great. I was able to have a job, um, but we, we came over here and we basically were able to secure apartment. It's interesting, like, like there's one thing worse than bad credit in the US and that's zero credit. We had zero credit. We didn't exist. My wife didn't even exist in the in the system. Yeah. So we couldn't even get like an apartment to rent. 
So it took us a while and it took people vouching for us and we finally started to get set up and I mean we went to Ikea and bought a dining room table and a couch, you know, and yeah. and that was kind of it, you know, and um, yeah, the kids. What did you do with the rent? What did you do with the like agency? Like did you just hand it over or you you bring up a sub rep, somebody else had trained? Yeah, I had a sub rep at the time and, and um, I transitioned him into running that and I passed the entire agency because I was gonna work for Hurley full time. Yeah. I passed that agency over to him. That's cool. Um, yeah, and he was he was epic, you know. Yeah. And Andrew Spence and Handsome Spence, they called him, and um, and he he took that ball and ran with it. Yeah. Um, you know, it was and it was a great transition for me to get deeper into the into the actual Hurley business, you know. And um, yeah, so we we moved over here, and my last showing was for was in uh, January February of of um, two thousand thirteen. And then it yeah, came across in um, March of uh, 2013. And um, even though we, we were set up, we, the wife and the kids came across in October of um, uh, 2012. Um, but yeah, so we've sort of been here since then. So it, it, was, um, it was a difficult transition for sure, and especially for some young Aussie kids that had all their cousins in the town, had yeah. their grandparents in the town, and to move them to a place where they knew no one and they knew nothing and uh, throw them out of their comfort zone, it was definitely a hard challenge, but one, I think that's gonna benefit them in life, um, just to, to be able to expose them to different- Cultures. Cultures, yeah. And, yeah, different, um, different, you know, environment, yeah. for sure. So, um, so yeah, so that began the, the second US journey for me um, in 2013. Well, it's good you had that experience, you know, back in the in the 90s, you know, when you were here, because you know it, you're super familiar with the area and the people, you know. So yeah. second home already for you, yes. but not for your kids. Yeah, you know? no, we, the kids were fortunate in the fact that they we brought them across in that period of time. Back to grandparents, you know, yeah, and, and we traveled maybe four or five times, um, yeah. and so they knew people and they knew a couple of kids and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, definitely a challenge for those guys for sure. And, and for us to get set up, right? Like, um, you know, I bought a 97 Forerunner. Um, you know, that was the car and, you know, I had to drive to Costa Mesa and the wife had to walk the kids to school and walk to the store and do all that. And, you know, we were- One car. One car. Single and, car family. Yeah, you yeah. know, and, um, you know, at the time too, like, like, I don't know what triggered it, but, um, in Australia, my wife was really sick and um, she got really uh, unwell and she was like, it was like chronic fatigue, right? Like she just couldn't, she would wake up in the morning and she'd get the kids to school by nine o'clock and she'd come home and she'd go, oh my God, I need to rest. She'd go to sleep and she'd wake up um, at like three o'clock having to pick the kids up and she just couldn't, um, didn't know what was wrong with her and she kept going to the doctors and the doctors would say hey you're just tired like you, you got two kids you're exhausted you know and yeah you can only write that off for so long before you know there's something wrong and so when we when we moved here um you know it was a challenge because she was still really ill um she couldn't work obviously and she had to look after the kids and i was at costa mesa every day and we ended up finding out, she finally did some tests and, and found out she had autoimmune disease. She was, um, she has Sjogren's and Sjogren's is that one where 
your body's cells attack its good cells and um, yeah and so the only um, the only uh, treatment. treatment at the time was was like a chemotherapy drug. Oh my gosh! And the, and the doctor was like, "Hey, you, you know, the, unfortunately, the side effects for this uh, is you're probably going to go blind, Holy um, crap. but you're going to be alive." And so, um, you know, we looked into alternate treatments. She was very fortunate enough uh, to find a doctor that was a doc, Western doctor, but practiced a lot of different stuff, and she found. I want to say it was like she found it. Um, she found medicine that they use for other purposes, um, and it was a binary effect where it reduced her inflammation in her body and um, stopped the cells attacking themselves because the cells were ultimately attacking and it flares the inflammation. Yeah. And so that, but that took like four or five years for her to get back on track, and then in that period of time, my daughter then got really sick. Holy yeah, and she was like deathly ill. Like she was like like she was I wanna say seven or eight. She was eight or nine at the time and she weighed fifty pounds. And uh, she couldn't eat. It just hurt too much to eat. Um, and so same process started. Like we thought like cancer and we thought all these things and yeah. you know, finally got to the point where I said to the wife, like go to the doctor. Do not leave the doctors. Yeah. Like, until we know what's up. Like, you know. She'd been to the doctors about eight times in, in, in that year, you know, and anyway, they went there and finally the last test they did, they did a test for celiacs. Wow. And she was celiac. And then on top of that, the doctor's like, well, celiacs is a hereditary autoimmune disease. So one of you guys have got it. So me and Ethan and Amanda, we did the test as well. And, and sure enough, my wife's got celiacs. Which might have caused her... On top of Sjogren's. Yeah, wow. so she's got two autoimmune diseases. But <sighs> it was great in that regard. Like, we, we finally were able to go... Yeah. And so, Hallie had a gnarly parasite that was in her stomach as well. So she had to have these crazy medications to eliminate the parasite. But yeah. once she did that, she started eating all gluten-free products and then her health just came back and crazy yeah she's 510 and she's you know very healthy and, and yeah um, you know it's so scary when so scary especially it's living so it's so crazy because there's kids out there that eat like shit treat their bodies like shit but yeah. they're healthy as fuck yeah yeah and then you have that yeah well yeah. just the fact that you you live in america yeah which has probably the best you know, Western medicine, doctors and everything. And yeah. then you're going to people yeah. and, and everybody's like, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know, we'll run another test. I don't know, we'll run another test. And it's kind of like disheartening and it's, kind of crazy. It sucks because, you know, it's always best to get to, yeah. um, what do you call it? Opinions or diagnosis. Yeah. And you know, when you're going to, eight different ones and you can't figure it out it's disheartening but yeah I mean you have to really kind of look for alternatives well the, you know? and the, like, system, the system like yes America does have great access to medical right but at the same time the system I think is broken in the fact that like you know we had one doctor like the, we went because of our medical insurance at the time, yeah. and we were signed up with scripts or something, and so okay, this is your assigned doctor. 
yeah. the good ones are the books are full and you can't get in and yeah. Yeah. and so even to make an appointment okay well it's going to need to be four weeks five weeks out right oh, it's happening now like, yeah okay well you can go to urgent care but you're not getting exposure to second third opinions yeah. right and we found that out later on yeah you know, going through the processes yeah. with my son's wow. accident like it was you know we, he we had to really push to get second or third opinions on on his situation so so in the end we ended up getting to the bottom of that and and you know which was great obviously challenging like, like i said i'm still up at hurley yeah from seven to seven kind of thing and and uh Damn. Yeah, but we're we're working through it and but it was really like good time in in regards to growth for us as a family and we started you know my wife started to really get her health back on track and, and you know, my daughter started to get her health back on track. So it was, it was good in that regard. And um, yeah, we've been you know, blessed in that regard. You know, it allowed then, uh, my wife went back to school a couple of years ago. So her degree, her psychology degree and her 12 to 13 years in the field in Australia didn't transfer here. So she had to go back to school to do a master's and. She completed that about two years ago and, and she completed her license for, she's an MFT, which is a marriage and family therapist. And she does that now uh, full time and she got a license in May. And, and yeah, so it's been a really good like transition. Yeah. There's been some definitely, like I said, like my son had a gnarly car accident. He was in a rollover in 20, uh, 2020. And wow. um, you know, he was on life support and they, they had to do a, a craniectomy, like where they wow. had to remove 25% of his skull and... and for the brain swelling and brain stuff. Brain swelling and stuff. So yeah. there's definitely hasn't been a smooth road. Yeah. But uh, we've been blessed to come through it as a yeah. family and, and continue to grow. And yeah, like all that, that time, like I took over, I left Hurley in uh, October of 2017 and, and um, moved to Surf Hardware uh, in November. Yeah. And um, been here since November of 2017. Which is a lot closer to your house now. Did you go to Costa Mesa? Originally, it was down in San Diego, right? So it was uh, it was down after 805 and Balboa, and and um, it, you know the previous sort of group that ran it, like Tyler Callow, who was a part of it. Obviously, he was based uh, down in La Jolla, so he just moved it close to him. But yeah. it made sense for us to move the business. Um, you know, North County was starting to really rise as, as a second part of the surf industry. And, um, you know, we wanted to move this. There's 25 surf brands on Palomar Airport Road. Yeah, so. yeah, we were driving and we were both like, I've, I've been here. Yeah. I've been around this area. It's super familiar. Like right San Diego's the just there. Yeah. Right yeah. There. So, so it, yeah, it was, um, yeah, it was, it was important for us to move the business up there and, and get we were lucky enough like we said we got all set up and structured before 2020 and the and the pandemic hit you know so we were quite settled and, yeah. and bunkered down and and um as we all know like um hard goods flourished fuck you know yeah. in, in that time <laughs> what a blessing in disguise right yeah especially fcx you know like um as a brand it, it just you know really sort of took off and and um you know, it was, it's always been an amazing product and, and um, you're very fortunate that there's really two systems, right? There's us and, and Futures and um, both are really great systems mm -hmm. and, and it gives a customer a great choice. Yeah. Um, you know, but we had established ourselves 
back with key manufacturers by that stage. I was fortunate enough that I knew uh, and had a foot in the door with all these shapers that I'd gotten boards from over the years and yeah. I was able to walk in there and re-establish the, the FCS business and you know, um, yeah, since then it's it's just gone from strength to strength uh, as a brand, so. Yeah, that's yeah. awesome. Yeah. yeah, so it's, again, like it's, um, the journey just continues and. So what do, what do you, what do you, what's your title here? You managing America's, so you're president of America's yeah. small business related. Yeah. So I'm regional manager yeah. um, of, of the Americas. So handle North America, South America, and Canada. Wow. Um, and for Surf Hardware, which yeah. which has the five brands: uh, FCS, Gorilla, uh, Softec, Hydro, and Canulock. And um, that's our business here. And and um, like I said, we have an office and warehouse on the west coast here in Carlsbad yeah. and we have uh, also an office and warehouse on the east coast in Satellite Beach and uh, have a east coast sales manager over there cool. um, Ron Long and, and Ron is amazing and does the east coast guys do such a great job out there and yeah very fortunate um, you know to have those you guys know is if you ship across country it's always challenging so you know to be able to ship direct containers to our east coast facility and to be able to have that overnight service facility in an AO brand. Yeah. Yeah, it's a huge Especially thing. this day and age of logistical nightmares. Yep. <laughs> well, that and, and, and the short term, you know, mentality of people, they want it like oh. so instantaneous. Like, yeah. I, yeah. what do you mean I have to wait a few days? I want it like now, you know? And yeah, that's and difficult when you, gratification. And, you, and you need to obviously cater to those needs yeah. if you can, you know? Yeah, and, and, it's, and it's incredibly difficult from a dispatch standpoint or I like, like dispatch standpoint we have um, obviously our wholesale business that comes out of here yeah. but we also have our online business that comes out of here as mm-hmm. well right and the online could be you could have a, a you know $20,000 with orders and, and they could all be average around $30 yeah and so just bottlenecks your, your whole system you know yeah. so yeah navigating through that um, challenges has been for sure um, one of the the bigger issues for us as we grow, um, you know, and facilitating that online customer where they they are aggressive. They they place their order and they send it with an email. Yeah. Have you sent it? <laughs> you know, it's like yeah. So they expect, and we've been very good at our turnaround times. Uh, you know, yeah. for anyone whether it's wholesale or, or um, online, it's within four days. Yeah. Um, you know, so it's it is it's a good turnaround time frame, and um, we've worked hard on the infrastructure for the business here, and making sure that we can facilitate all facets, right? Because there is a manufacturing and plugs and boards piece, and there's also a retail piece as well. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy yeah. business. Surf world. We were talking to a surfer. I know. A second ago. Yeah. yeah. And all of a sudden, we yeah. got this freaking shark over here. M- morphed into business. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, look, I, I would love to say that I'm surfing, you know, as much as I can. The body just hasn't held up as much as I would like it to. Um, but, yeah, like I said, I'm, like I'm next, next week, next Wednesday, I'm hitting 50. So, Phew. it's, yeah. Happy birthday. Yeah. What, what day? I think Wednesday, I think, yeah. The 31st. 31st. Okay. So, but it's it's one of those things where like, like you know, my son, obviously, he loves surf and skate and stuff, so I try to get out as much as I can with him. And, um, 
you know, he keeps me in the water. And when the water, the, the waves aren't what I'm used to, obviously coming from Australia and being spoiled there. So it's hard to get motivated. Sometimes. It's a little hard to get motivated. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and uh, this guy thinks it's going off when it's two foot. Also. Yeah. And made the cot and, and well, the other thing too, the coffee is not as good as Oz. Like the coffee in Oz is oh, yeah. next level. So yeah, it's, it's Julia hard. was here last week in Bart and they were just like, Dude, where's a good coffee place? Where's a good coffee place? I'm like, dude, there's killer coffee. No, that, that place sucks. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, all pretty much. There's a couple. There's a couple, like up in Costa Mesa, the boys from Common Room Roasters, yeah. you know, Aussie guys, like they yeah. do it right. Like, so there are a couple around. There's a, a place down here, uh, Iron, Ironsmith, I think it is, um, right next to Sunbum. They do an epic flat white. Oh, okay. yeah. So there's a couple of flat white places around that are, yeah. that are starting to roll up, but it's, it's definitely a challenge. Uh, to find good coffee. Have you done any wave pools or? Yes, I've been fortunate enough. Um, I did uh, KS Wave Co. Like I've been able to do that like five or six times. You know, awesome and, for you. And we we do a retail trip there or a retail manufacturing trip. You know, we have a Q4 incentive that we throw out to certain territories yeah. and, and to those accounts and. Um, you know, we take the Larson and I, Elite Night and I are thinking about doing a retail spot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That'd be your number one. Uh, yeah. you, guys, you guys will crush Q4 coming off, <laughs> off zero dollars from the year before, yeah. right? Yeah, but um, yeah, so we've been, we've taken um, a couple of like so done two or three FCS trips there. We partner with Surf Ranch um, as their exclusive supplier for, for fins, which has been great, and um, I've been able to get across to Waco as well. Uh, Waco is an amazing um, facility as well, but it, it doesn't really help my body. That is too compact for me yeah, yeah. to operate. <laughs> it's really compact. Yeah. It's like after surfing Kelly's or the, the KS and then that, you're like, okay, there's there's a happy medium somewhere between these. Yeah. You know? yeah. And it's going to come and for it's sure. going to be like... For well, sure. Oceanside's getting the Yapoon style, right? I don't know what they they've been approved for something. I think the biggest issue for them now is finding water. Um, <laughs> no investment for develop for for a developer, right? To to, to be able to do it. Yeah. So, well, I, I don't know. Like like Shane Mags and the boys have have got some different tech. I think yeah. um, it's been upgraded since when he went to Waco. Yeah. Um, then you've got Kersey and the crew, which are doing a a version of uh, Urban Surf. Um, it's a bit more slab. You know, Beshin's involved in that one as well. So, yeah, yeah there's going to be some cool. fun stuff, stuff coming down the pipeline. It's exciting and, and uh, it'll add a whole nother element to, to surf yeah. and, and our industry for sure. So, yeah, I think, yeah we love it. Um, are you, you follow the tour, I'm sure. You watch WSL and, yeah. you know, what do you think of this new, coming from a tour guy, that yeah. the mid-season swap, the finals at lowers, like, what do you... You like it, or um, look? I think there's, there's a couple parts. Like I, I get it from a surface perspective, where it's not really fair. Yeah. You've, you've trained and worked for five, ten years, or five, like eight years or whatever it is, to get on tour. Yeah. And you get on, and you only got yeah. five crack cracks at it. You know, and it's, it's a hard adjustment. You yeah. Need some more time to you know, get and, settled and, in. And yeah, like you can't get settled in in that time if if you've never done the CT and stuff. So. I get that perspective. Maybe there should be a little longer um, of a of a cut down, you know. But I also understand now, sitting on this side of the desk, that 
from a WSL standpoint and from a business standpoint that operationally you can't cover those costs um, and continue to cover the costs if there's not like a huge amount of support financial support yeah outside of what there already is you know and yeah and, you're talking uh, 10 12 two week waiting periods and all the staff yeah. and all the overhead it's yep. it's incredibly expensive it's incredibly expensive prize money alone right yeah. just the prize money alone so um i think in order for the sport to progress like it did like right when we could have the argument when when it transferred back from three rounds of trials to man on man into top 44 format we could have that argument is this right? Yeah. You know, a lot of guys thought it wasn't right, you know, but it's, the, it's got to continue to evolve. Um, How about another Bud Tour? Yeah. Right? Well, and, and, and <laughs> here's what I would say, like, what's disappointing with the US is, is the, the circuit for the, the grooming circuit, right? Yeah. In Australia, the, the, the pro juniors, the, the pro junior circuit is amazing, right? Yeah. And then they, you can straight into the feeder for the QS, the QS feeds into the, the Challenger Series, and now the yeah. Challenger Series feeds into the We need season. a junior feeder. Yeah, and, and that's where it's been let down, I feel like, here. Um, I think they really need to focus on a, on a junior circuit here. Yeah. Um, there's so many good athletes and so many good surfers, and, and I think that that preps them uh, more for that next level. Like, to go from USA Surfing Prime to, to QS is, is a big jump. Big jump. Yeah, yeah. And, you know... So yeah, so it's it's. I think that um, coming back to your question, mate, I see both sides of it. Yeah. The surfer in me disagrees with it. <laughs> the business person in me agrees with it. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, they look at the the webcasts and the stats, and that's where you get your that's where you get your money from the sponsors. They're like, oh. look, you know, when a Slater or an Italo or whatever paddles out versus you know a top. 32 yeah. versus a 28 yeah. you know it's just like you know there's definitely they got to monetize it you know yeah and, and you got to get ratings they need viewers and that, to that point right i will say it adds interest right yeah so i'm sure you being a basketball guy you probably watch your team throughout the season yeah. but you probably don't watch that many other teams yeah right but then when it comes to playoffs you're probably watching every game yeah because there's elimination yeah Right? When it comes down to elimination, you're looking at that going, no, this is exciting. Yeah. I don't even go for this team, but I, I want to watch them get eliminated. Yeah. You know, and, and so when it comes to that, like when, when it was before, it was only ever exciting if the world title was going to Hawaii. Yeah. Right? So everybody was on the edge of their seat. Like when Mick Fanning had to pull out some of the things that he did to win, you know, that was exciting. Yeah, for sure. Right? And, and it added a lot of drama to the sport. So I think having a cut although I think they should extend it to a few more events, but having a cut puts a bit of pressure on people. Yeah. You know, puts, puts the... I would just like to see lowers in those, that, that, that final five have like at least a couple days with like a two out of three matchups between the guys, you know? Yeah. To, so, give, to give them a little bit more of a playoff, like, and, and these are the top five. Like, I'm, you know, again, playoffs isn't decided by one game. It's usually a series over a course of a few different, you know, teams over, you know. So I'm, I'm totally against the, the playoff vibe atmosphere because I think it's unfair for, like, the guy that has won three contests or two contests. Yep. And if the guy that, like, Kano hasn't won anything yep. this year. 
but he's in the top five. Yep. Yeah, you look at Griff, right? Right. Yeah. Right. What if what if Canoa wins the whole thing? Yeah. Then he but wins. It, but again, it, it comes back to consistency points. Well, it comes back to the best surfer doesn't always win on the day. Yeah. Right, and that's always been a thing when I've grown up. You know, like there was a guy that could scrape through heat, scrape through heat, scrape through heat, and he has his best uh, best heat in the final. And you know, the guy that that yeah. killed it the whole way along. But this is like different yep. as far as like the magnitude of, of sure. being a world champion yep. right like Parco never won a contest until the very end of his contest and yeah. he won pipe I, he won pipe I think which I think I don't think any other surfer that has a world title ever not won a contest I don't know and now I don't know the stats I'm PT. not good with that PT. What's that? PT. Yeah. PT never won a contest. He always just got seconds. Well, yeah, in the year he won the world title, yeah. Yeah. He didn't okay. win a contest. Well, then I stand corrected. <laughs> <laughs> I had to go back that far. Well, we, I mean, we love, we love surfing and we, you know, we, you know, it's part, you know, it's our lifestyle, it's our job, it's everything. And we, you know, we love watching. We're a fan. Yeah. You know, we're all fans. Yeah. I think there's merit in what you're saying, Chucky, where it's, it's, um, I think, if they just ran the series out through the year and, and it was decided over the course of 12 events, yeah. but then this event was like all for a grand prize of, of 500,000, right? Yeah. You had the top five guys that are qualified for that. There's no points on the line. It's just for money and, and just a showcase. Yeah. And so maybe that specialty, that's that specialty event, yeah. you know, and, and again, like, like, like last year, right? I would have been sad if Gabriel had no one because yeah. he was the best surfer all year. Yes. You so. know, it worked out right for him, but, but Philippe's in that pocket now, you know? And, yeah. and so, yeah. yeah, I think you're, you're correct in that regard. And I think that there's opportunity for them to fine tune it, but I, I think they've done the right thing in, yeah. in continuing to progress it. What's heavy is the, the real thing that really throws a wrench in everything that we're talking about is waves. Yeah. Yeah. If there was waves for every contest, sure. we wouldn't have everybody. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we wouldn't have to like, oh if only the field was smaller. Yeah. Oh, if only, you know, the the waiting period was yeah. this. Yeah. It's like bombing and, and super contestable and the waves are going off at that particular event, then, yeah. then no there's no second I mean, Yeah. Yeah. No, I absolutely. Know. You can almost lock your fantasy team in for the year. <laughs> if there's enough of a wave to be excited to watch, you know, exciting enough to watch, yeah. like, fuck, man, I'll watch every single contest. Yeah, because you know? the, the caliber of surfing is so phenomenal. And, and you watch the women's contest. I mean, yeah. the, the caliber of women's surfing, too, is so much higher now. So much higher. And yeah, yeah. There's, there's no bad surfers on tour. You know, they're all... No, and, it, and it's great to see you got, like, especially with women's, you got the Katie Simmers of the world coming through. Oh, my and, gosh. That are just next level, raising that level, you know, and, and um, again, continuing to push the sport. And, and I think that, um, yeah, we're all fans of it. I think what I've sort of seen, again, sitting on this side of the desk, that um, in the past, the ASP was really it for professional surfing. You had to... Margo was the first real guy to sort of break away from not doing contests, you know, and be able to earn a living outside of that. Um, 
nowadays I think there's multiple parts. A, that WSL is just one part of it. Yeah. Yeah. And it definitely is a big part. It probably represents 50%. But, you know, we've got some amazing athletes like uh, Mason Ho and Nathan yeah. Florence. Like these guys are content creators. Yes. You know, and they are amazing to watch and to follow. And, yeah. you know, um, I get just as excited watching those guys as I do, obviously, watching our guys win an event. You yeah, know, so. totally. That's the beauty of surfing. It is, and it's evolving in that regard, which I which I really like. It's not just pigeonholing to. Yeah. Hey, if you're a kid coming through, your only option is to win a contest. Yeah. If if you're not a contest surfer, it's sort of hard, you know. So, yeah. Why am I in that? Because I wasn't a good contest surfer. And I was able to make a living. Wow, <laughs> you were ahead of your time, brother. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. shit, man. Thank you, Fudge. I I think we've we're. You know, we kind of coming up to the game. We don't want to keep your whole press up. Yes, sorry, boys. No, dude. Lots lots happening. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But congratulations on everything, on your successes and and your trials and tribulations and coming out on top, you know, because life's not easy. It's not, mate. I appreciate that. And and, um, again, mate, just, um, yeah, enjoy enjoying where we're at and what we're doing. That's it. Yeah. Not bad for uh, a small town boy. No. Hey, no, yeah. (laughs) You could be digging. Coal mine, you could, know, could, could be picking up I, shit. I could be in the coal mines, mate. Yeah, yeah. for sure. So yeah, I've, I've definitely been fortunate enough yeah. uh, to stay out of the mines yeah. for a long time. Well, you look at how many, like you mentioned earlier, how many great surfers come up and then they just kind of disappear, you sure. know. Yeah. And they, you know, could have parlayed it into a career within the industry, you yep. know. And yep. you know, it's yeah. There's a lot of opportunities. Yeah. You know? Just keep your head on straight and work hard and. Yeah, I think Stay positive. That, to your point earlier, right? I think that there's opportunity for brands to to put a program in place where it can bring people through because you want that authenticity. You want that yeah. person that lives it and breathes it. Yeah, you know. Definitely. Um, yeah, definitely. There's a part that you know of business that needs to be attained, but at the end of the day, you want to sell authenticity. Is, yeah, is yeah. what surfing is. So definitely, yeah. that's what we're about, baby. Yeah, we'll end on that, dude. Thank you, guys. Thank you, Todd Presso Prestige. Yeah. Yeah. Bonsai Bulls, hands down the best bulls, period. Seven locations, two in Hawaii, five in Southern California. Bonsai Bulls, go get some. Caliente Southwest Grill, clean, healthy Mexican food. Everything is made fresh daily using produce from local farms. Their salsa, their dressing, and even their marinades are made from fresh produce in-house, so almost all of the menu is naturally gluten-free and extremely clean. Family-owned, showing local love for 22 years. Check out their website, calientesouthwest.com, for all your party pack and catering needs. You could also call them at 949-515-0909, calientesouthwest.com. Ashland Hard Seltzer, made from all natural ingredients. No sugar, zero carbs, gluten-free. Great taste and guilt-free good times. Ashland Hard Seltzer. Shade Sunscreen, the best sunscreen for all surfers. Shade Sunscreen, it's been around since the sun. Shade Shade Sunscreen. Clearweather is a family-owned footwear brand started by our friends Josh and Brandon Brubaker. They are driven to create their own path in the corporate sneaker world. Less corporate, more independent. Clearweather. Clearweatherbrand.com. Fuwax is the best, ickiest, stickiest wax in the game. Fuwax.
Late Night with Chalky is supported by Inherent Bummer. Surf entertainment, thoughtful writing, surf videos, music, and fresh hell for the core surf community. Remember, it's not the end of the world. Subscribe and check it all out at InherentBummer.com. Thanks for tuning in. We hope you enjoyed the show. Please give us a five-star rating and spread the word. Special thanks to our good friends, James Williams for our awesome artwork and Justin Reynolds for the amazing music.